Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I'm joined today, and as always, uh, and actually not not just by my my good friend, my business partner, uh, the dear Jason Johnston Yellen, but also by my friends, the the tree workers, the arborists. One would think it's it's Arbor Day with with I don't know if you could hear it, Jason, but I've got saws happening. There's tree limbs a dropping. Can you hear that? I cannot. You can't. Oh my gosh. Tree limbs are dropping. Is that from is that from a Christmas song? Tree, Tree limbs, limbs are, are dropping. dropping. Five golden. I I think it's five Philippe Panavongs. Philippe Panavong. <laughs> it's funny. This is in our this is in our minds because Elijah was at the whiskey shop. Um I, I don't know if it happened at the whiskey shop or a tasting afterwards. Might even have been a tasting afterwards, I think he said. But he actually met the good Philippe Panavong. Aha, uh-huh. yeah. And, and I think Philippe said, you, you may know me from such things as Jason and Joshua singing my name to the tune of Feliz Navidad. So, you know. I hope, I hope that he did it in his best Troy McClure voice. Hi, I'm <laughs> Philippe Panavong. You may know me from such things as Philippe Panavong. Philippe Panavong. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny. We're we're singing this Philippe Panavong song. Oh, is that it's like the thong song? No, we're singing this Panavong song, which makes me think of winter and December and holidays. Mm-hmm. But anytime mm-hmm. I hear uh chainsaws, I think of the springtime. It sounds like spring cleaning for me. And I have this this artificial uh, spring fever going on right now. Like I'm really starting to, and it's it's not even February, Jason. No, you're you're in a lot of trouble there. I, I thought you were going to say whenever you hear chainsaws, it makes you think of Texas. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I think, given the power of post, you can edit out the one second it took for that penny to drop. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want people to know how how <laughs> how slow I am this morning, <laughs> and most mornings, if we're being honest. <laughs> um, so, so here's here's I've got two things two things on the brain, um, and number one we'll circle back to obviously, but just as we're sitting here talking about December and all things cold, I am thinking about you know we interviewed today's subjects, mm-hmm. Mark and David. In December, mm-hmm. and and it was it was nice to be in the the warm comforts of December, chatting away with them, dramming away with them, and so I'm very excited to return to them in in today's episode. But I had a chance to reflect over my weekend, and I, and I thought as I was reflecting, I'm going to have to reflect with Joshua and our listeners right. when we record the next episode of One Nation Under Whiskey. Our listeners, both my listeners and yours? I've combined them, yes. Oh, right. Yes, this is the power of Grayskull. <laughs> so <laughs> and so, <laughs> so here's here's what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. I remember being a boy and being a boy in Scotland. And I remember my dad and my uncles yeah. and, and even even one of my aunts getting together. And they would get together somewhat regularly and either they would all be at our house or we'd be at their house and drinking would occur mm-hmm. and 
And they'd be, they'd be drinking blends that would be diluted. And I've talked about this before. This isn't the point oh, of my yeah. reflection. Yeah. But, you know, they would either use faucet water or ginger ale or Scottish lemonade, which looks a lot more like a Sprite or a 7-Up. And then they would have a can of beer. And at the age that I was, you know, me and my cousins, we'd be responsible for going to the fridge and getting the cans and mm-hmm. going over and pouring the blends and getting the two fingers and adding <laughs> whatever the mixer yep, was yep. going to be. And so we'd be the little gophers yeah. in all of this. And so it was always obvious to us just how much we were making and pouring and delivering, right? And so <laughs> uh-huh. like, like we would have gatherings where where my dad would have a good half dozen beers and, and half dozen whiskeys, right? And sometimes that number would be eight and sometimes that number would be 10, right? And it was just like, it wouldn't be a surprise at the end of an evening to see a little pile of cans okay. around a chair where somebody had not moved from for six hours. Okay. <laughs> right, there'd be a little, a little uh-huh. collection of empty cans and then you knew they'd use the same tumbler for their 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 blends, right, and their mixer. And I was I was thinking the other night, I don't drink like my dad mm. ever drank. Mm-hmm. And and I sent you a, a photo of a beer that I was drinking, which was a basic city Mexican mole stout. That looked awesome. Nine percent alcohol. Okay. Right. And then I had, after that, I had a couple of cask strength drams. I had a couple of my favorite Colhomans, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so I've got this 9% beer and these two cask strength pours of Colhoman. Yeah. And I'm thinking, that, that's when my reflection began. You're like, I'm becoming I was thinking, my dad. No, I'm no, not in the slightest. Okay. okay. No, yeah. not in the slightest. <laughs> I was thinking, when. When I was surrounded by family and, and my dad, they were drinking 3% laggers, uh, right? It was a can of tenants, yeah, yeah, right? Yep. It was a 3% lager, and then they were having a 40% blend, and I guarantee you there were not 43% blends. It was a 40% <laughs> blend that was then being diluted to within an inch of its life. Yeah, sure. And it's and it's so interesting to think when we had those nights of what sounds like, and I, and I was careful with my description here, but what sounds like debauched drinking, mm-hmm. right? Bacchanalian events amongst family. There wasn't really a lot of percentage of alcohol being consumed. That's a good point. Yeah. Right. And yeah. on and on this Friday evening, I'm on my Shabbat. You know, when I'm sending you a photo. Or Shabbat started uh, of that beer. It it really made me think, and again, a story I've I've told you, and I've certainly told our listeners, of my dad being at my flat in Aberdeen mm-hmm. and having the the octave of Glenfarclas that we <laughs> bottled for our whiskey society yeah. that was 60, 61, 62 percent alcohol. And my dad say, oh, that's, that's like rocket fuel. 
but it's good. Um, you know, like like oh, it really. You know, I was I was hiking with a friend yesterday, and we actually had some some heavily sherried uh, Port Charlotte while we're out in the snowy woods, and uh, and he'd made the comment, oh, it really warms the chest. I think it was sixty one or sixty two percent alcohol, yeah. and that made me that made me think of my dad. Oh, it really really warms the chest. Um, but 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 I was curious, and why I wanted to bring it to you, and why I want our listeners to be thinking about this for themselves right now is, what did you grow up amongst? Did you have these? Did you have any similar family gatherings? Mm-hmm. Were there? Were you observing alcohol consumption? That, and I'm curious. At the time, seemed like a lot, but in hindsight, we drink damn straight, damn sight stronger stuff. I promise you, I haven't had any so far. That might be the problem. That's a good question. I I remember, I remember my mother and father having parties. Now, one thing to keep in mind, you know, my my mom and dad divorced in the early eighties, so eighty one, right? And so I was maybe eight years old or so, seven or eight years old. But I remember before then, you know, around the ages of of six and seven of being mm-hmm. the person who is in charge of delivering martinis to people. Like, oh, can, mm-hmm. can you get someone to drink? Can you pour some wine for this person? And I felt like the most important person in the room. Like, it was my responsibility to make sure people were having drinks and having a good time. Oh, I, I would posit that you were the most important person in the room. I, it, there's, there's no doubt in my mind. And and so I definitely remember that and look back on those fondly. You know, there, there was never, there were never any raucous parties, right? It was just, you know, people in their 30s <laughs> having drinks and, and so on. But People who seemed like they were in their 60s, who were in their 30s. Right, but, they, yeah, exactly, right? Um but the the late seventies and early eighties in the U.S. I mean that that was all your clear your clear alcohols. That was your mm-hmm. vodkas and your gins and you know we had some. In fact, I've got one of the bottles on my shelf here. You know we have some some Johnny Walkers and Doers from the seventies and and that would be the special stuff. That would be okay. Most of the people have gone away. Now we're going to play cards and maybe have a little whiskey, mm. something like that, mm. or have a liqueur. You know, there was always so a there was another of Sabra. Le- yeah yeah there, there was another level to yeah. take this to yeah. that that wasn't until much later and really I think it was my uncle Frank who who maybe got into single malts first, but there wasn't another place for them to take it to when they started on cans of lager and and some mixed whiskey. That's where it ended. <laughs> like oh, several, yeah, several, yeah. several hours later. Um, so it's interesting to hear that there would be a transition in cards and then almost like a slowing down of the intake, but an increase in the quality. Yeah, right. And it just seemed as if, you know, if you had a party and let's say there was 20 people coming, maybe four or five of them are your closer friends. And people mm. people dash out a bit early, and your closer friends kind of stick around, and that's when they they broke out the quote unquote good stuff, which I would argue, seventies Johnny Walker is really good stuff. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so I I remember that, but then 
by the time the early 80s came around, you know, my parents had split and my mom started dating here and there and then found her, you know, my stepdad. And then there would be, you know, the various holiday gatherings. And it didn't have that same kind of feel like when my mom and dad were together and throwing these parties, they were always at our house and all of the holiday gatherings were at my stepdad's family's house. And it just felt different. Not not <laughs> worse, not better, just mm-hmm. different. And, mm-hmm. and my role as the person to deliver drinks had changed. I was just like the kid in the other room with the other kids kind of yeah. thing, you know? Yeah, that's that's a shame. I, I, I definitely think about being with my cousin and my cousin and I <laughs> making drinks and and sipping drinks and and <laughs> you know that was kind of a mm-hmm. oof. Why would why would an adult drink any of this? But, yeah, yeah. But 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 also, and the reason I make that comment there about. People who are in their thirties and you know when you're eight years old, you just assume, God, they're ancient, like they're gonna die any day. Uh, you <laughs> kind of feel bad for them. But it was interesting watching my uncles and my aunt aging, and and then you'd see someone falling asleep in a chair, right? Where (laughs) that never used to be a part of it. Uh Um, Or I remember my my grandfather, who would have been in his 70s at the time, who was a notorious drinker, um, him just being... (laughs) kind of I can't help but slip into some Scots here, but you just simply describe them as fucking comatose, right? <laughs> like, I remember, like, looking into the corner and seeing my grandfather. I would probably have been about maybe 13, 15, something like that. And uh, and just thinking, oh, my God, he's fucking comatose. <laughs> and then you've just got, like, his, his son's, like, just slapping him across the face, like, hey, wake up, wake up, time for bed, time yeah, for bed. Yeah. And then they, you know, uh, under under an arm each and, and up the stairs to bed. Um, but but just just thinking, it wasn't particularly strong alcohol that got there, and, and so I'm I'm curious bringing you into the second part of my reflection here. You drink a lot of strong stuff as well because you're just like me. <laughs> we share you know yeah, similar beers and strong. similar yeah. whiskeys, right? Do you ever stop to think about the strengths that are now commonplace? Have you had any other family members go, how much? <laughs> What's the strength of that? Um, I guess on the whiskey side of things, I really don't talk about whiskey with my family members, except for my dad. You know, when he, he'll come out, he lives in New Mexico. Like when he came out for Mimi's bat mitzvah, right? And he was staying at our house. You know, we had a night or two where we would just sit outside, drink whiskey and smoke cigars and you know that first whiskey i would always make sure you know <laughs> he's he's he likes his whiskey but he's not a whiskey guy and so like all right let me mm-hmm. let me pour him something that's 43 46% mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and hear him go Ooh. right and i'm like yeah just you finish that one and then i'll break out the higher stuff right and and you know, he, he likes his Glenlivets and he likes his Balvenies and he likes his 
glenfiddichs and and things like that. But when he comes to my house, you know, I make sure he drinks really well. I just know we have to <laughs> not not that drinking those isn't drinking well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, yeah. but you know, we we have to ease into some of the single cask and cask strength and special edition stuff. I will say personally from from a beer perspective, I have started targeting more lower alcohol beers. If I'm going to drink, if I'm going to take the time to drink a beer, I know I'm taking in more calories than I really want to be. You know, given mm-hmm. this time where I'm I'm consistently trying to lose weight slash maintain weight. And so if I'm going to drink a beer, then I want to be having beer. And if I'm going to have one beer, I want to have two beers. If I'm going to have two beers, I don't want to be passing out. So, like, a good four and a half, five percent lager, Pilsner, Saison, um, Marzen, you know, something like that is, is, it really piques my interest and gets me excited about beer because I know I can have a few and just not be sloshed. But even that is a remarkable number to me. And, and I, I think I've brought this up, you know, we've done this podcast long enough, uh, you know, it's like infinite monkeys typing out Shakespeare at this point. (laughs) Um, But I I remember being not too long in the United States and having a cinder cone red from Deschutes, a a brewery that I love uh, out in the Pacific Northwest, uh, Bend, Oregon, to be precise. And, right, And, and I remember having their cinder cone red and I had a 12-ounce bottle of it, and I remember thinking, oh, that's making me feel a little ticklish. <laughs> and I looked at the label, and it was 5.2%, and I thought to myself, holy shit, that's 5.2%. <laughs> like, my goodness, what am I drinking? And since then, just that's <laughs> session five, now. seven, eight, ten, twelve, thirteen, <laughs> like fifteen, five, six percent. Like, that's session beer these days, right? And so your very point there. But then I also remember you and I being in Chicago, mm-hmm. and who is it? Who is it? Who's next to the diner? Uh, who's the brewery? Oh, Revolution next to Chicago Revolution. Diner. Yeah, yeah. Right, and we we went in there together, mm-hmm. and they had a a porter. And it was 3.2%. Yeah. And I said, this is a number I remember. Huh. <laughs> yeah. This this is the strength of a beer. This is something you can drink at lunch and then go back to work. This is mm-hmm. something you can drink after lunch and still, uh, after work, I'm sorry, and still communicate with your family, right? T- to your very yeah. point yeah. of... If I can sit and have a couple of fives, I'm not going to get sloshed and I'm going to be able to have the rest of my evening. 3.2 in a porter is a number. And, and I, you know, and that's when I think about the laggers that were being consumed by all my uncles. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure it was around that. Like our laggers didn't even have a strength on them, right? It was just a can of lager and that's what you yeah, drank. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm sure it probably was around three and you could have a fair few of them with a mixed whiskey that your 40% was diluted way down as well. What a very different type of drinking than we do now. See, now, be- between this conversation where we're talking about low ABV beer 
and the the arborists outside cutting trees down. <laughs> I'm thinking of spring and my my spring slash summer go to beer for the past couple of years has been that German uh, grapefruit beer that starts with an H. It's like two point eight percent, and it's oh. just like it's like a fifty fifty of of lager and grapefruit juice. And I can pound the ever-living shit out of that and just mow the lawn and pull weeds <laughs> and just have a day. And it's just, that's it. You're not getting drunk. You're just having a delicious drink. It, you're, you're maintaining a nice little happy feeling. Uh, but you're not getting plastered. I, I like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I remember I, I met up with Martin Duraz in San Diego back when he was still in his Highland Park uh, oh, brand yeah. ambassadorial yeah. days, and I remember he ordered one of those, mm-hmm. and I and I remember looking at it like, what's one of them? <laughs> and then he started to describe, well, you know, if I'm if I'm going to a number of accounts and if I'm having a, a friendly drink along the way, or if I'm even feeling a little thirsty, yeah. um, this is what I'm going to order, and that, and I was kind of like, oh gosh, look at that number. Don't see that every day in America. <laughs> so I, I do. I, I know exactly what you're talking about there. Maybe I'll get a rake of those in for the spring as well. Do you know? I th- I think I may have found uh, a link, albeit quite tenuous, uh, link between what we're talking about now and a bit of what we were discussing with David Stirk and Mark Watt, which which we're going to be transitioning over to in, in just a moment. And you know, going back to that audio and in, in editing it and, and just just listening to part of what was discussed, they talked about this evolution of the whiskey drinker, right? Mm. And the mm-hmm. evolution of how whiskey producers slash brands catered to markets or discovered new markets and, and where you had you know, the old Scottish tins of shortbread and the tartans. <laughs> and and then you move on to younger crowds and NAS whiskey. And just, it doesn't have to be so twee. It could be just fun and cool. And, and, and David and Mark sort of not just watching that evolution, but sort of helping that evolution along. And here yeah, we are. Certainly talk- being a part of it. Right? And... That's exactly what we talked about where, where you said, what were our parents doing from a drinking perspective <laughs> as compared to what we were doing from a drinking perspective? And now we're starting to revert to what they were doing with the lower alcohol mm-hmm. stuff. So, mm-hmm. so it's interesting to see this evolution slash de-evolution of, of drinking. Well, and I, and I think as well, the, the story that we charted with Pete Curry, who came of age in the late 90s with university, with what his dad was doing, with Gordon mm. McPhail, and kind of has lived this two-decade, gosh, starting to stare two and a half decades in the face now, but but it has, has lived this kind of whiskey life during this, you know, severe, extreme uptick mm-hmm. in whiskey. And now to have this conversation with David and Mark, who were slightly farther along in the late 90s than Pete was. Although now that I say it, Mark Watt might actually be younger than Pete Curry. 
I think he's. I think he is. And this is no offense to to Mark, but Pete has more of a baby face than Mark does. He does. And, and Mark yeah. has a bit Mark, more. Gray. Mark looks like he's lived a life. Yeah, but in a good way, right? It's like when the when the actors, right? Like uh, like Sean Connery just kept on getting better looking and better looking. That that that's Mark. He's lived a life. He's got the gray hair. Uh, but Pete Curry just looks younger because he's he's got that you know sweet baby face. I think it also shows the difference between a decade in Los Angeles and a decade in Campbelltown. <laughs> and I'm only talking about the weather, not the drinking habits of its inhabitants. <laughs> have we said enough to throw this over to to ourselves? I think we have. Uh, one thing that I want our listeners to know um, the audio from both Mark and David's side isn't perfect. You're going to hear a little hissing. I, I tried to to improve the audio as best I could. It's, it, it doesn't sound terrible. It's just a little hissy here and there. And, and Dave, you may remember this, Jason. David's computer fan kept on every once in a while going... <laughs> I like that? I remember it very well. Very well. And, uh, and we actually talk about it in the in the. I interview. might have brought it up. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but that aside, the, it, the, yeah, go ahead. It's the age of COVID. I think we've all come to terms with the fact that nothing is perfect. And, right, exactly. And in that aside, you know, the content of the conversation I, I thought was mm-hmm. great. I, I loved hearing the origin story of, of how these two met and started working in the industry together and, and now are focused on in part their electric coup series which is pretty exciting so yeah let's hand it over to the wonderful inimitable david sterk and mark watt our first and fourth interviews in the one nation under whiskey podcast perfect So here we are. This is this is a crazy moment for us because we're sitting with guest number one and guest number four from five years ago, which is insane to consider. A few things have happened since then, and I'm sure we'll get into some of it as we go along. But as I was thinking about sitting down with you gentlemen, I should say, David Sturk and Mark Watt, and here's Joshua, and I'm Jason. And <laughs> Thank you for introducing go. us. <laughs> Everyone knows when you say number one and number four, it's going to be us. So. Well, I know what number one is, and I know what number two is. I've never gotten to number four. <laughs> <laughs> There's a fourth base in there, Joshua. So I was, I was starting to think as I was looking forward to, to seeing the two of you, how did your friendship start? What's the story there? <laughs> uh, oh, well. It, I was working as a waitress. It was a, a yeah. purely happen chance, wasn't it? I was working as a waitress <laughs> in a cocktail bar. I was at... Uh, yeah, he was, yeah. That's right. I need, I need a band member. I, I was at uh, Spaceside, I think with my dad, the first time I met you. I can't, I can't remember. But yeah. And I can't remember if I was... I was on my own then. I was still at, at university, so I was on my own. But I'd been asked to do tastings at the festival. Uh, because that was brand spanking new. Nobody was doing tastings. And you were working as a waitress in the Highlander, in the, in the Craig Hotel. Craig Hotel, Quaker Bar. 
and uh, you were about the closest person to my age, I think, <laughs> in the entire industry. So uh, that's kind of how we met. The rest, the rest kind of was just history. Really. What year are we talking there? If, if you're looking at the beginning of the Space Life Festival, you're talking 96, 7, 8? It was 98. Somewhere around there. It was 7 or 8. Yeah. I only became legal in yeah. 98. Ah. Okay, that's a game changer, obviously. You'd never had a drink until you turned 18. It's, it's a hell of a story. <laughs> he, did, he didn't work in the hotel until he turned 18. Well, he's pouring drinks without, yeah. without uh, superpower. I, I, was, I was a late developer. I didn't start drinking until I was 16. I'm very unscottish. It's just... you, you, make, you make me feel bad. Yeah, I was, I was 15 and, and I thought I was right on course. 16 being a late developer, maybe I was later than I thought I was. I, I grew up in Space Age, so things are a bit different. <laughs> Gosh, I grew up in well, Airstream. I'll, I'll be Glamorogy with your, with your porridge in the morning. <laughs> no, Marcus. So, so, so if you both met um, at, at the Quake while, while Mark, you were, you were the waiter, waitress. You're serving drinks. Yeah, I was serving what? them drinks. All right. So that's meeting number one. What was the second meeting? I mean, r- right now we're at a we're at a point now where you two, at least as of this date, you two have released your second in the Electric Coup series. Your, your friendship now goes back what twenty three ish years. So what? That was your first meeting. What was the meeting? where you two really hit it off and, and started to connect more. Was there ever a time, David, when you were working with Springbank that you connected with Mark? Or was, where were your other meetings? We're just trying to figure out how this all came together. Initially, they were all up in, in Space Science, something Mark lived in Dufton. And uh, I would come up for both festivals every year. And I did that for the first or five, hmm. six years, something like that. So if it, if we didn't catch up during the year at another festival, of which there weren't that many back then, um, then uh, we would catch up the, at the Speyside festivals. And then when I worked for Whiskey Magazine, I would get Mark involved um, <laughs> in anything I possibly could. Uh, and I think within a very short space time of me joining Whiskey Magazine, I think that's when you joined Duncan Taylor. Yeah. So we would then bump into festivals as I was at Cadenheads and Mark was at uh, Duncan Taylor. Um, but it, certainly initially, and most of our best stories are all from those years uh, <laughs> early on in Dufton um, uh, when we were quite a bit younger and carefree and capable of drinking a lot longer than I can now. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I'm going I'm, I'm to come back to this, yeah, this building we, friendship. I'm just curious right now, on the last episode, we had Pete Curry, and we talked about you know tracking that period of the late 90s through where he is now in LA and you know, 2021, 2022. You guys are saying you know, there wasn't much in the way of festivals. We saw each other occasionally when you ended up at Whiskey Magazine. David, you started finding ways to, to work with Mark. How did the industry feel? In '98, what was the Speyside Festival like? In '98, was it thirty guys in anorak standing in a field looking at each other? Yeah, it was. It, it sounds like I've just described dogging, but it was much you know. smaller. <laughs> completely, it's completely different. Um, but it was much different. It was much smaller. Like the initial 
whiskey festival, a lot of the tastings took place at the back mm. of the Dufton Whiskey Shop, which is quite small. The first tasting I ever did was there in the, in the back of the festival. And I think David might have been there. And, you know, Kate, my wife, was there. Mike, that owns a whiskey shop, was there. You know, it's funny all these people that happened to be there. So it was tiny, but <laughs> all the good people were there. But the industry was totally different. There was a lot less shows and there was a lot less people doing shows. So those of us that were in the industry at the time, we, some of us, if you happened to sync up with the same importers or whatever, mm. you saw a lot of the same people. Because like now where companies have 74 brand ambassadors covering <laughs> three markets, um, there, was, there was one, and it wasn't even a brand ambassadors we were called back then, you were just workers. Um, mm. And you covered the world. So you would do every show every weekend around the world. And so you were always working. So, like, Kate, my wife, was in the industry for the same amount of time. But we managed to go, this is before we lived together, before we were married, obviously. But we, um, before we got together, we'd met each other a few times and then didn't see each other oh, in wow. the circuit for four years. Huh. You know, so it's it just depended on if you're importers did sure. the same shows or whatever but there was a lot less shows and there was a lot less industry people so if you got in the right sink you would see people a lot um you know i remember grant mcpherson seeing him <laughs> six weekends in the row you know I, I didn't even see the people i lived with that much you know so it's it used to be heavy heavy work hmm. um, but it was good fun it was a lot a lot of fun it was interesting at the time because you had people you had people creating parts of the industry that they wanted to see created. So I was very lucky to have worked at Whiskey Magazine with, with mm -hmm. a, a guy called Martin Miller, and Martin came in with a with a much more and um, it's going to sound weird, but a much more twenty first century view of the industry than it had. Um, itself and Mark and I did too yeah, I think one of the things that Mark and I bonded over straight away was we didn't like the stuffiness of the industry <clears throat> the two of us never understood why there needed to be so much structure and uh, you know you had to sit down and listen to someone and, and, and add you water mm -hmm. before you drank it and all this kind of stuff and you didn't like the tart mm -hmm. and the tins and all this um and that was the way the industry was going. And the people who were doing the whiskey festivals, so Fiona Murdoch, who owned the shop before Mike Lord did, she was a big part of that. And the people that jumped on board, a lot of them were not whiskey folk, as in they, they weren't from the tartan twee tins and, and you know, shortbread view of it all, and, and really couldn't care less. Um, so much more, it, it became much more uh, an industry of... Um, Let's get past all of the, the hyperbole and let's get mm. to what is the product like? And, and, and Marchin's part of that, definitely. Uh, and as I said, Mark and Kate and Pete and all these, this, these young people came in and um, forced the industry, really. And we, and we systematically watched the demographic drop from 55 to knocking on heaven's door down wow. to mid-30s. And a lot more women coming in. You know, the first few festivals, it was really, I mean, I hate to say it, it was really just partners tagging along. There, there were obviously, there were a few 
uh, very knowledgeable women and very. Uh, yeah, I think um, one of the things on their own. I think one of the things with the age changing as well was there is a kind of missing generation mm -hmm. in whiskey because there is the old boys, you know, the Jim McEwens, et cetera, et cetera. But because there was that lull in the 80s, you know, mm -hmm. it goes from them to us. And unfortunately, now we're the old boys. <laughs> you watch your mouth. Day, you watch your mouth, Mark. Quite depressing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, hey, Mark, some, some older than the rest yet. <laughs> yeah, so, but, you know, the, there's, if, if you look around the industry, there's not that many people in the, from us to retirement age. There's the, the legends, obviously. But there's not that many people in that gap. And now there's a lot more. So we were the kind of, it kind of skipped a generation. And then it was people like me, David, Kate, et cetera, coming on. Um, and I think that yeah, probably helped we to change the demographic. They, were, they tended to be distillery managers, you Ian Millers, people like that. Yeah. Um, but they weren't, they were people who had either fallen into the industry or had gone via mm. brewing and distilling or, or Bill Lumsons who went via, what did he do? Um, yeast and all that kind of stuff. They they kind of almost fell in by accident, but but after that you have a generation of I love this industry and I want to work in it, which is where certainly Mark and I and Kate and Pete and all these other people have come from. Um, and there are a few that fell into it as well. You know, well, that sounds like mm. a fun job. I'll do that. But there's quite a few who who really did pursue it, and that has changed. Um, that's changed the industry. It really has. You know, we wouldn't have your whiskey sponges and even even your Sikinda Sims, you know. We wouldn't have those kind of people. He he aggressively yeah. pursued the industry and kicked it into into the twenty first century. So yeah, Mark's quite right. There is uh, I hate being called a veteran now. That's uh, Yeah, I hate that. I'm forty five, I'm not a veteran. <laughs> so I really like what you said where you worked to change the demographic of the consumer and and i wonder like what, what were the tactics and did you even know they were tactics at the time or was it just a matter of outreach and what did that outreach look like i that's a very good question i was part of something that helped change the demographics i wouldn't say i ever actively uh well i suppose i did because i brought people in who were my peers um, and, and it's one of those things that's when it's contagious, you bring people mm. in, you bring other people in, you, you know, you, you find all clubs or a couple of people who enjoy a, a dram and before you know it, the whole street's heard about it. And before you know it, the town's heard about it and you've got a hundred members. Um, and I was, I've definitely been a part of that. And so has Mark and, and our passion and all of our passion has been contagious to the point where you know, the effect we've had on the industry has yeah. changed the demographic. Um, and certainly our generation has come in with a view of, I don't care who you are, drink. Mm -hmm. You know, there's absolutely no stuffing. There's, you know, there's, there's, it's a brilliant generation that we've got because we just don't care about any of the things that went before. We don't, we don't think it's a man's drink. We don't think it's an old fuzzy thing. Um, but the demographic itself changed because you had the sweeping movement that kind of went through Europe and the Far East and... Uh, America to a certain extent, where these young groups of people would get together and just form whiskey clubs, and and we started to to see them coming out of the woodwork at the festivals and things, um, and it'd be like, wow, uh, so there's thirty of you guys, and you're all in your twenties, and you all 
you're all passionate about whiskey. Well, there's nothing mm. like that where I live, you know. And you started to see that sort yeah, of, it yeah. became cool to do that. You know, that's a horrible word to use. Groovy. <laughs> became, yeah, groovy. Down with the kids. Yeah. Uh. I remember 20 years ago going to Sweden and, and there was an all women whiskey club. Mm, wow. 20 years ago. All women. I know they had 40, 50 members or something. And to them, it was nothing. You know, they, they maybe have had partners that were in an all male club or something. So they made their own club. And uh, I never did the tasting for them, but I know they still exist. Um, that was 20 years ago. So, yeah. Uh, but I, I, yeah. I think with the, with the movements of the Whiskey Lives and all the, the new shows as well, we were at the right time where we were starting to put poor whiskey to punters. You know, it wasn't, oh, we're launching a new whiskey, we'll invite the same five journalists that mm. we invite all the time or the, the same bar staff or whatever. And it was, let's have a festival, let's let general public that have an interest in whiskey in. And when you've got someone across the table from you, you can pour them anything and you get that automatic feedback. And I think that was brilliant in getting more people involved um, because people are there to taste it. You know, there was far too much stuffiness of sit through two hour presentations before we tell you how much this costs and blah, blah, blah. Just, you know, just <laughs> there you go, drink it. Do you like it? Boom. Yes, you like it. Okay, we'll try this direction. Or you don't like it, we'll try that direction. It's. You know, I think yeah. we got in when that change was happening. Nice. That yeah, you would definitely. get people like me getting to try um, a new release at a whiskey festival rather than it being at an event held at Edinburgh Castle for five people that don't even like whiskey, but they mm -hmm. sign yep. the checks, yep. you know. Sorry, Jason, did, did you, you go ahead. Did you, just did you get a sense that as you were trying to make it more modern and younger, you were still seeing some of the tartan around the edges, some of the shortbread tin messaging around the edges. And, and did you get a feeling that punters themselves started to reject that? Or did you see it more like there was an age group who went out with that as you guys were pouring for a different segment, a different demographic? Definitely. Uh, you, you had... I think sometimes companies um, got lucky with some of their advertising, not realizing they were giving the customers exactly what they wanted. A good example of that mm. would be Abelauer mm -hmm. Brunner. And Abelauer had had this juxtaposition of the 10-year-old still looking like it came from the 60s and Abelauer Brunner, which was everything a whiskey mm. consumer wanted in a bottle. It told you everything you wanted to know. It was uncolored. It was un you know, there's no water added, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I think uh, David Boyd actually deserves a lot of That's a great example. Uh, he was retired, retired recently. Um, and whether, okay, I, I might have actually done him a disservice. He may have actually had his finger on the pulse because David is an incredibly intelligent guy and he may have fought tooth and nail to get that, that series out. And of course now, every, every distiller has something along those lines which says, this is what people want. They're not bothered about backstory, about fairies, about <laughs> goblins, about any of this nonsense. Um, give us as much information as possible. Don't muck about with it. Treat us like uh, educated people. And um, yeah, there, there certainly was 
there was a fringe of of the companies being a bit slow. I mean, Mark will agree. There was the one. Uh, Glenn Murray is probably a good example, and Ian, God bless him, is brilliant now. But he's fought um, his own fights. But I think in connection with that, you know, the internet has changed mm. things hugely. You know, I remember, you know, twenty years ago, being part of whiskey forums online. You know, we'd meet up on a Wednesday night and chat, have some drams and chat and, you know, it wasn't like this, yeah, it was yeah. typing a message and someone else <laughs> would type a message and, and you would end up, by the end of the night, you couldn't read any messages because <laughs> everyone was pissed. But it, it allowed, I, I mean, I look back to some of the guys in the forums I was on. I was part-time uh, working at Royal My Whiskies, you know, just the, in the shop. Uh, great shop that it is, um, and I'd be going on and speaking to guys in America and speaking to guys all over, and they were drinking Ardbeg, Provenances, and all these kind of things. And obviously, I was sat there <laughs> with my cheap bottle of uh-huh. you know, whatever because I couldn't. But we all spoke yeah. equally. Um, there wasn't. That, I mean, there's always going to be some idiot that's like, "Oh, look what I've got," and I'm like, "Yeah, but." <laughs> I can't afford that, but I got mine for free, so it's even better. Um, so it's, I think that helped, and then it allowed distillers, uh, companies, etc., to target people um, more more directly um, and get their information. It did also allow people to get bits of information, mm-hmm. which is always dangerous, um, but you know we can kick that out of them. But it's, it is, um, I think there's lots of things that have came together to allow things to move forward. Uh, but I do always remember, I say, being a student with my bottle of Balvenie double with yep, yeah. whiskey, um, you know, and speaking to guys all over the world and girls all over the world um, and just because of whiskey. And it, it allowed people, you know, it was... You know, it allowed people from different walks of life to discuss mm-hmm. this. Oh, have you tried this? This is new coming out. And that kind of started and built on. I mean, it's much more crazy these days, obviously, and pandemic has made it even crazier. But um, it was good times. It was, again, the whiskey industry yeah. is global. It's huge, mm-hmm. but it's tiny. It's kind of, we all know each other. You know, so if you mess up, you really mess up because everybody knows about it. But it's, you know, it's, it is interesting how small a lot of the, a lot of things are. There's different niches that stick together, if that makes sense. Well, it was interesting for us interviewing Georgie Crawford and really meeting her for the first time. Great. And how many times Mark Watt is mentioned in that, you know, which explains a lot of where her life has ended up but um that poor but, woman. but it was it was right but or or you know speaking to Pete Curry and him bumping into Kate in a bar in Barcelona uh, at the time that he'd applied for a Springbank job like it's, it's such a, a minuscule industry but it's wonderful to see great people who have found great people and hang out and do different projects together which we'll circle back to Joshua I talked over your question I'm trying to remember who who brought this statement up, and, it, and Jason, it may have been Pete Curry, but the general statement was, and, and I've been thinking about this for, for the past few weeks, 
the general statement was that it was so interesting that you would get a group of people together to not only drink whiskey, but to talk about whiskey while drinking whiskey. And, and I wonder if in those earlier days, was that as much a thing as it is now? You know, after we get off this conversation, I'm headed up to some friend's house and we're going to pour some whiskeys and we're going to talk about those whiskeys. <laughs> One of which, by the way, is this uh, Tony Cole uh, Capradonic, by the way. That's, uh, and, that brings us both into the conversation. Well. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and, and so, you know, did you watch that evolution where the conversation with whiskey became a conversation about whiskey with whiskey? No, I think I think that was always there. But I think, as Mark said, we suddenly had an environment where you didn't have to listen to somebody waffle on for an hour and a half, giving giving you not only how how whiskey was made and the history of every brick in the bloody distillery. Um, we got to a level, and and he, he made me remember George Grant, who who would always stand up in front of a learned audience and say, "Right, I'm going to spend the next half an hour telling you how whiskey's made," and and to see everybody lose the will to live. And he said, "I'm just kidding. You all know how it's made. You know, let's drink and talk." <laughs> and and I think. I think that's the, for me, one of the nicest parts of the whiskey industry as compared to, say, maybe the wine industry is that we don't need to learn that much in each of the tastings. And it's far more, and even the people who do all these tastings and the brand ambassadors and the brand owners, they want to hear everybody else's opinion and everybody else's story with it. And I think that's always been there. I think it just started to come out when Mark and I started in the industry because we started to see these small group tastings. We started to see brand ambassadors as people who were more engaging than, than mm. trying to tell people things. Um, so, yeah, I think it was just a case of, right, from now on, this is a two-way conversation. You tell me and, and, and we'll talk about it rather than you taste this, you taste this, you taste this, bye-bye, you know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I think also people were able to approach, no offence David, but people like me and you easier with their questions than maybe you if, you're, yeah, <laughs> if, you're, if you're approaching Frank McCarthy or Jim McEwen or, you know, Colin uh, Ross, bless his soul or whatever, you know, people are in awe, you know, and you just listen, you don't necessarily want to look stupid in front of your peers, whereas it's okay to ask me a stupid question because, well, you probably know as much as I, you know, I think that probably helped. I mean, there was always a bit of that when you were younger, people asking you questions to prove that they knew more than you did, mm -hmm. um, which I always love. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's, I think, like the younger generation come through made it more approachable mm -hmm. to, to ask questions rather than, you know, God, what if I say something stupid in front mm. of Ian Miller? Well, I've done that many times, but, you know, um, <laughs> or, or whoever you may wish to pick, you know. It's, uh, it's I think it, it definitely made it easier. Yeah, yeah, okay. I had another, a com completely different line of questioning that would take us down a separate rabbit hole. Uh, and I definitely want to go there, but Jason, if, you know, I don't 
if you had something you wanted to add here, I, I want to give you that chance. Yeah, from the from the history section, I just wanted to confirm that the two of you were never in Campbelltown at the same time. I, I don't mean nope. a crime was committed. I mean, when you were working there professionally, you never overlapped in that professional portion of your life. Is that correct? That's correct. Actually, Mark and I have never been in the same room together, so we could actually be the same person. <laughs> no, I think, actually, th- thinking about it, Mark, I think the first time you and I were in Campbelltown at the same time was earlier this year picking the cast for Electric Cooter. I don't think we've been in... Oh, my goodness. Yeah. No, you did turn up at a festival once. Oh, yes, um, that's right. That's right, I did, yes. yes. But, like, I didn't... I was busy, so I didn't manage yeah, to... Yeah, and I was driving, so I was dull. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's you're probably right. You're why quite I didn't right. speak to you. Right. Um, but but it is, the uh, first time we spent... Any time together was in this room, yes. tasting the samples for Q2. Wow, that's yeah. mental, absolutely yeah. mental. Um, before we go to Joshua's question, do, I keep hearing this kind of like whooshing noise. Oh, do either my, of you have anything? It's my Mac. That you're. Ah, interesting. Okay. Yeah. All right. It's overheating from all the porn. I thought it was just out yeah. of gas. I didn't know what it was. <laughs> if I do this, Joshua. <laughs> <laughs> yes. See, see if I ever meet Steve Jobs, I'm going to kill him. No, no, that's a terrible joke. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, we've, no, it's got some sort of fan it. problem. Sorry, it's uh, so I don't know if you can edit that Just out or whatever. Uh, it, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Cool. Okay, Josh it's not doing it now. It's not doing it now. So I, I think I see a correlation here, and and I could definitely be wrong, and I could be conflating two things that need not be conflated, but I. I really loved what what you both said, which was you saw and helped along the the change in in demographics, right? And you were you were part of many other people, right? Doing this, right? Bringing a newer generation of whiskey drinkers in, but I think at the same time we saw this evolution of of whiskey being bottled, where there was definitely old school style whiskeys and now we started seeing different whiskeys more spirit driven um more nas happening you know is is there any correlation to that is bringing more people in hence more whiskey being bottled changed what's being available for bottlers to bottle maybe i'm overthinking it but i think there may be a correlation here yeah, well, the more people that buy whiskey, the less stock you've got to, to give people. So, you know, uh, and again, you look at, it's a bit of this thing where people go on about uh, older whiskey. You know, when we started in the industry, you know, I was bottling 66 Beaumores, like they were going out of fashion, 72 <laughs> Capardonics and all these kind of things. But that was 20 years ago. So that's the equivalent of bottling a 92 now, which is still phenomenal, don't get me wrong. But... People forget that time has moved on. Um, has it? And oh, so, it has. Yeah. <laughs> all right. You know, it's, it's... Well, I'm sure you guys all do this. When you look at a stock list or, or a cask list, you're like, oh, 2,000, that's really young. And you're like, oh, God, it's 21 years old. There's no wonder uh-huh. it's so expensive. Um, it's... I've, I've missed a decade somewhere. But it's... Yep. You know, I think... Like the non-statement thing, that, that was a stock issue. But then again, you go back long enough, there's been non-statements for forever. Yeah. You know, Glenn Fiddick was an eight, then it was a nine, then it was an eight, then it was a twelve. And it was, you know, it's it's nothing new. Um, to be honest, there's very little in the industry that is new. 
that yeah. hasn't been done at some point before. But if you, uh, I'm not going to say that, but if you're some people and you do it, you win awards for being innovative, you know. Um, and if you're other people, there's like, ah, that's been done before. It's, <laughs> <laughs> dipping a toe in controversy, I like it. Just dipping and just dipping a toe. <laughs> See how it feels. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on who you are. Yeah, and it's very strange when you think about it. Mark, Mark and I have been, and, and you guys as well to a certain extent, but, but more Mark and I because we're over here and you're over there. We've been privy to some unbelievable whiskey, some absolutely mm. mind-blowing whiskey. And between us, we've probably drunk enough whiskey to have bought Brewer Cloudy when it was sold, you know. Um, and then you you sort you can you can lament and mourn that period, and there are enough people who do that 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 say you know that the industry hit its zenith in the late sixties, early seventies, and everything after that's pish. But at the same time, if you'd have said to both of us when we met that in twenty twenty one we will have more distilleries in Scotland's ever had, and not only that, but a lot of them are knocking out belters absolute stunners and the future looks amazing we'd have laughed at you absolutely you know we were in a period of decline uh, distilleries were still closing when when the curries opened and uh, aaron people were laughing their heads off oh you're insane you'll have to sell it all mm -hmm. for blending is what the initial premise of of the distillery was Wow. And if you and Mitchell was with us now, he'd be saying, "Yeah, right, chance. I, I need more malt than than I can get my hands on." So um, it, it, it's it's a up and down industry, always has been. But I think we've been so lucky to catch it at a period where, as Mark says, he was bottling sixties Bowmores like they were going out of fashion, and now they are the unicorn of the industry. And uh, you know, he and I can get together and, and reminisce and lament and, and, and talk about all this stuff. Neither of us could afford to keep them and put them away. <laughs> but we were there when it happened. So we're, yeah. we're a walking, uh, you know, history of, of what went on. We're, we're still living and breathing history of what went on. But at the same time, we're, we're both so passionate about what, is, what the future holds as well. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a good mix. It's a heady mix. Yeah, I guess I, really quickly, Jason, I'm sorry. I guess maybe I should have rephrased my question in that it, it, it's obvious whiskey has changed, right? Like you had said, Mark, time has gone on. Production styles have changed from distillery to distillery, from brewer's yeast to a combination of brewers and distillers to distiller's yeast to maximizing output, so you're shortening fermentation times, et cetera, et cetera. So because of all of this, whiskey has has changed and had to change. And of course, there was that, that lull period in, in the 80s where, where we had so many closures. But do you think the change of whiskey profiles helped in any way to bring in this younger demographic and help to grow whiskey in general. Do you think that perhaps those older styles were less appealing to the masses and the newer styles allowed more people to come in? Hmm. Interesting question. Um, I think in general, whiskey is probably much more consistent and, and probably of a higher standard overall mm. these days than it ever was. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the, the process, as you say, things change. I grew up at McAllen and 
we used to speak about the four different types of yeast that they used. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't speak about that anymore. You know, and there's, there's a, so there's going to be, and every little change you make, no matter how little, when you add up a hundred little changes, you know, it makes it makes a big difference. Yeah, yeah. I think we are much more knowledgeable on the process and everything these days, and how to tweak things so that you can get a different flavour without necessarily having to do it the old way. Mm-hmm. And has that allowed people to come in? I think there's a lot more bottlings have came out that are probably a bit more accessible mm-hmm. to the mass audience. Um, like I always say, and it's probably just because I've never won anything, apart from Young Brand Ambassador of the Year, I'm sure Pete <laughs> Curry mentioned that in his one, because I was the first and he was the second. Um, but He did mention like, it. Just like to get that dig in there. Um, <laughs> Although they only let me keep it for like four months and then they gave it to Pete, but never mind. Um, but They were like, you're not Pete Curry? Oh, we've made a horrible mistake. Yeah. It was the original Oscars La La Land. Yeah. Um, where was it going with this now? Um, yeah, there's a lot more accessible whiskies um, for a general population. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where I was going with this comment. Because I've never won anything. When you go to whiskey shows, and a lot of them will have the dram of the day, you know, and people are yeah. asked to vote for what the favourite dram is. Yeah. You don't want to win that. Because if you win that, you're vanilla. You've, you've, everyone's liked you. You know, and you've, you've kept everyone happy. What you really want is a dram that, you know, that some people love and some people, I'm not saying people hate, you're not bottling something mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. people don't like, but you don't want to appeal to the masses. You want to have, well, as an independent bottle, you want to have variations. Yeah. Yep. You know, otherwise, sure. what's the point? If they all taste the same and they're hitting that sweet spot, then just bottle the one thing and be done with it. Um, so I think, you know, it's in some ways having a, more uniform style is quite good. Mm-hmm. It gets more people in, but it's not necessary. I think people come into that and then people move up and go, right, I want to find an independent bottler. Yeah. And they look for difference and they want to try a Glenallachie that is different from what Billy's done or they want to try, you know, whatever distillery from a different standpoint. So. By becoming more uniform, people are looking for the differences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a back-to-front answer, but never mind. No, I think it makes good sense. The comment I was going to make a moment ago was, again, going back to when we sat on your couch and interviewed you for the first episode, David, we were in Scotland for your celebration of you know opening a new premises. The, the things you poured at that dinner were remarkable, absolutely out of this world. And you know, all four of us were there eating and drinking, having a jolly good time. I still have my tasting mat from it. That's how I, good I, it was. So do I. So I do, do I. too. Yes. <laughs> and it's in a box when I moved three years ago, so I don't have it in front of me, but I do have it. But that was, that, that was remarkable what you had access to. And coming back to Mark's earlier point here of seeing some of the cask sheets where you're just kind of like, 2006? I'm not buying a 2006. Wait, your 2006 is 14 years old? 15 <laughs> years old? Like, I, I think you've got a digit wrong here. Um, it is crazy now to look at, 
you know, the 93 that we just bottled um, and think how long ago that was or, you know, a, a 74 uh, Invergordon. It's, it, the ages now are, are just mental. But the question that I had connected to this conversation is, do you think everybody is precious about the whiskey decade that they cut their teeth? Or do you, do you think it's, it's particular to a type of person? Or how much excitement do you see? Um, Joshua is showing us a 1980 Glen Farkless Christmas tree. Oh, look oh, at that. Look at Pendaren Pendaren. from Stark. Oh, nice. Well I'm going to I'm gonna open it now. Capardonic. Oh, nice. You're just nice, opening nice. it now? I haven't opened it yet. Ah, oh, perfect. Brilliant. Perfect, perfect. And we're going to um, go all Welsh on you, boys. There goes that demographic. That was a Welsh accent. It was nice. Yeah. 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 The Indians have tuned out. The Welsh have tuned out. The Jamaicans are on the fence right now. Straight into the Punjab. (laughs) (laughs) I'm allowed to. My wife's Welsh. I'm allowed to. Anyway, so, so yes, do, no. do, you, do you think people are precious about that? Because I remember in the 90s, when I was cutting my teeth on whiskey, so many people said, oh, the Ardbegs of the 70s are the real Ardbegs. There'll never be another Ardbeg like that, which may very well be true, but there will be other Ardbegs and, and some will be very, very good. So what was your experience of that? What have you seen? Yeah, I, I, think, think, I think, yeah, we, we, we've seen enough, haven't we, Mark, of people who were, um, you know, as I said before, you have that crowd that if it's not from between 1967 and 1974, it ain't whiskey. But I think one of the beauties of this is that stuff just keeps popping up that blows your mind, Uh, Mm. as long as you're open-minded. What what I was going to say earlier, actually, I forgot to, is and and I'm sure Mark will back me up, I've seen a lot less of people from when I started, and Mark will definitely get this, having worked in the bars, of those people coming up and say, I only drink insert black brand. <laughs> and that used to be really, really, especially in Scotland, you know, I'm a Bell's drinker, I'm a Grouse drinker, I'm a Macallan drinker. And and that was it. And and I used to remember doing the tastings mm-hmm. through the UK and you'd have uh, some seriously old boys there coming up and say, well, that was very interesting tasting and all, but I, I just drink famous Grouse. And I said, well, that hundred quid you just spent was wasted, wasn't it? Because uh, every single whiskey I poured blew that out of the water. Um, when I went for Caden Heads, obviously. Uh, yeah, so I've certainly seen a, I've seen a, a sweeping. I, I mean, I rarely hear that now. Absolutely, you'd have to be in an airport in Chicago or something to hear that. And quite frankly, you ignore it now and sort of chuckle to yourself. Um, mm-hmm. you, you just mm-hmm. don't hear that at tastings anymore. I only drink Macallan. I only drink, you know, whatever. Yeah, I used to find that a challenge though. I used to quite like people like that, that you just, you know, you hear them say that and you pour them something and they're like, oh, that's amazing. And then you tell them what it is. And they're like, oh, right. Yeah. So, <laughs> but I, I think, I mean, I used to, I used to have a, a mate of mine um, that didn't like Capardonna. Um He said that Capardonna is a blending whiskey because, you know, the distillery never produced any single malt for its own right. So why should I like it? And I would pour them. Capardonic and he'd be like, Oh, that's amazing and then you'd tell him what it is and he's like, Oh no, that's that's crazy. <laughs> he, he he ran away with my girlfriend and I kept the Capardonic, so it was a win win. <laughs> I had a feeling this was a former friend of which you were speaking. Oh no, he's, he's still a friend. We're 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 tight on Facebook, so it's all good. <laughs> 
but that's, yeah. that's not your Dufftown girlfriend, is it? No, no, okay. it was another one. Because that story is legendary, but we that's for another time. It <laughs> <laughs> sounds like part two. Sounds like part two. Yeah, Mark, Mark and I and girls in Dufftown. We don't have the. Best. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, anyway. <laughs> you could have been rich, David. You could have been rich. <laughs> yeah, I've only ever been chatted up once in my life, and that was a girl that came up to me and said, do you want to be rich? <laughs> true, true. Mark was there. True story. True yep. story. Yeah. It, 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 it's it, not as flat. It's not, it's, not, it's not flattering, trust me. But no. anyway. <laughs> it's an interesting point, though, Mark, that you bring up about your friend's comment about Capradonic being... Only, only for blending, you know. If if that statement had come to you in 1998 when you were in the Quake Room, you could say that about a lot of distilleries now that were primarily for blending. However, yeah. have launched their own malts and and have become a brand in their own right. And well, there's there's a couple of things behind that. Yeah. One, how do you get people to like your whiskey? Close your distillery. It worked for Port Ellen, you know. It's, um, uh-huh. I don't want to do it. But, you know, it is one of those things. But the other thing is, you know, these distilleries, your Port Ellens, your Banffs, your Capodonics, your Broras, they needed independent bottlers. Yeah. And it was the independent bottler category that made that. And as people became more educated, like... When David and prior David being at Gardenheads, you know, there was a shelf in the shops for closed distilleries that would sit there for for long enough before people bought them or whatever. Now, if there's a release of a closed distillery, it's sold out, you know, before it's bottled. You know, mm-hmm. you, you just think, oh, I'm, I'm thinking about bottling something and it's already an auction. You know, it's... <laughs> it, it's so it's, 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 it's just it's a thought. Changed. Yeah, it's you can auction the thought days. as an NFT. Yeah. <laughs> oh, don't oh. Get, don't get me on NFTs. Oh, she's down. I, I I don't even understand it. So no. it's, it's okay. But no, yeah, 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 yeah. Looking back, people would have said those kind of things, but you could, you could push them, and it was always independent bottlings, and I think that's for me. What drew me to that side of the business is is the the variety that you can have and, and the things that you can play with. You know, you can I say back in the days when we were starting, it's like ah, here's some Banff, here's some Brora, here's some Port Ellen. You know. Mm-hmm. I remember working in the the shop in Raw My Whiskies and we had fourteen different Port Ellens on the shelf at one time. And like they went from fifty five quid to seventy five quid a bottle, wow. and me thinking seventy five quid for a bottle of whiskey, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's <laughs> they closed the distillery. It can't be that good, you know. It's just, yeah, but, I mean, you were on two and six an hour then, so well, exactly. <laughs> Get, getting paid in, in miniatures of bells, decanters. But right, and so and so these and so these bottlers were at the time bottling unicorns, bottling legends, and they had no idea that they were bottling unicorns and legends at, at that time. Do you, do you think we're past the point where unicorns and legends are being bottled or they can only be realized 
20, 25, 30 years after it's been bought. Well, it depends if you're talking about rareness or quality. There are still unicorns being bottled, but the, the, it's debatable quality and, and the rareness is now <laughs> equated with, with price. So yeah, um, go, gone are the days when any, any closed distillery just about, I mean, any of them just about can be under 100 quid. Any of them. I can't think of one. No, there, there, uh, there, there simply cannot be. Yeah. Right? It, 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 <laughs> it, it cannot it, be. It cannot be. In the days when, you know, we're, we're looking at three to five-year-old world whiskey bottling, single casks selling for 80 to 100 quid, you know, compared to the 20-something Port Ellens and the, you know, yeah. Broras and Capradonics of the world. Well, Mark and I would planning on a world whiskey uh event for electric q2 that was our thought and we started to pick up the phone well i, I mean how old is that we sent messages <laughs> out to, to our contacts uh-huh. we sent a tell. <laughs> uh, <laughs> for the listeners out there that, that was the impression up. of a rotary phone <laughs> 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 which i nearly bought one of them today <laughs> brings it back full circle. Your, your office needs one of them but one of the old pay phones and it has just the single you speak into it anyway um it was, it was looking for whiskey office. stop yes right. send cast samples stop stop uh, offer Get me Mr. Whiskey, please. Mr. Whiskey. Um, yeah, anyway, so Mark and I, Mark and I were going to do a, a world uh, series. That sounds brilliant mm. for American audience. Uh, nothing to do with baseball. And the prices um, were prohibitive. We, yeah. we just couldn't do it. By the time we'd got it in and bottled it and added the tiniest of margins, and I'm I'm not even joking there, absolute tiniest, because we did bottle yeah. one world whiskey or, or outside of Scotland, I should say, in the series. Um, we, we just couldn't do it. And we were able to bottle a closed distillery of 21 years of age um, in a four-square cask at quite a bit less than nearly all of the other three, four-year-old world whiskies. So... You know, huh. for us it was a no a no brainer that we we yeah. did that. Uh, we would still love to do that. Um, yeah. I think the series because we're so tongue in cheek, we're not taking anything seriously, and, and it's purely on what Mark and I like. I think it's a great showcasing for anybody who wants to be involved, and some people are, are quite happy to be. But um, yeah, it, it, everybody now has an idea of what their stuff is worth, and it's. Uh, it's too high for it's Mark more and than I. Wibbling. Too high for the dinosaurs. <laughs> I, I, so, oh, go ahead, Jason. Yeah, put, put, put a pin in that thought because there is a part of the future that I want to circle back to here. But as you bring up Electric Coup, and we've finished the history portion of the podcast, um, Electric Coup, how did it come about? How did you go from being friends to now being co-bottlers? You know, while also being incredibly well known and well regarded in the industry. Well, I think David and I, you know, as the history section said, known each other since 1998, and we've always thought we should do something together. 
like we had an idea. <laughs> we tried for a child. Together. <laughs> yeah, we tried for a child, but it wasn't working. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist that one. <laughs> I don't know what we were doing wrong. But, um, <laughs> works every other time. Um, but... <laughs> Uh, but God ga- yeah, love we, you, you tried. That's what I, that's what I yeah. love you, too. <laughs> boy, boy, did we. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. Sorry. <laughs> I'm blaming this Welsh whiskey that I've just poured. It, it's, uh, anyway, so go ahead. Yeah. So, yeah, we had lots of ideas. At one point, we thought about writing a book, didn't we? The, um, space Aid Way. The space Aid yeah. Way, where the we space just, get drunk in space it was uh, a fear and loathing of space side uh, if you can imagine that <laughs> where mark and i drink our way uh to oblivion yeah we i, I still think we should do that but it's my capacity is dropped <laughs> yeah we, we might need to take someone to write it because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I had visions of it as we we, we went to the highlander inn and then there's just a few blank pages. <laughs> and then it was Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> and we were in Wales. <laughs> oh, we've done it again, David. <laughs> yeah, when, when did Rothers get a, ca- wait, get a castle? Oh, wait, we're in Edinburgh. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Anyway, yes. Um, so, yeah, so we, we thought about writing, writing books and stuff. And then we'd, we'd always thought we should work together. But annoyingly... Or, thankfully, I've always been employed by other people, um, and David's always been employed or had his his businesses. So it, it didn't it didn't work. It didn't um, sink until until 2019, and uh, things. Uh, what whiskey was started, and I was independent. David was. Very independent, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we, we it came about, and we just thought, wouldn't this be fun? And uh, I think it was over a few drinks that kind of came up, and we went for it. I do, I do think maybe next bottling we should put on it the most independent bottler. <laughs> <laughs> independent squared. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so. So, so with your bottlings, right? So, so finally, David's been independent for a while. He he <laughs> sold Creative Whiskey Company, became uh, in, he, his own man to do many other things. You went on, uh, left Cadenhead, started Watt Whiskey with with Kate, and so now is the time to do Electric Coup, and then soon Electric Coup. Wh- what's it called? Something Boogaloo? Two. Google electric coup? coup too, electric coup at the movies. At the movies, and so is. Are you? It's clear you guys are having fun, potentially too much fun, or potentially not enough fun. I can't. I can't. I can't tell which. You know, if you read, we we, we have legal fun. You have legal fun, right? <laughs> so if you you look at the tasting notes, you look at the labels. There's all sorts of fun happening, but. From a cask selection standpoint, are you looking to bottle? Now, I, I, to be fair, I've only had whiskeys from Electric Coup 1, and I purchased your Macduff and your Crofting Gaia, and, and there's specific reasons why I purchased those two. But are <coughs> my choices. Them worth, 
David's choices. That's what I can say. Are you looking specifically to bottle fun off the beaten path whiskeys, or just whiskeys that you love, and then you write fun off the beaten path tasting notes and and stories around them? Like, talk to us about how you create the range. Well, you get into a room and you get loads of bottles, <laughs> you tie a shed load of stuff. And you come up with some great ideas and then you give them to your wives and they go, no, you can't do that. Um, it's pretty much how it works. What we do is we drink as much as we can in a room and then one of us leaves the room and then we try to work out who's left. That's pretty much what we do. Who's left? <laughs> Someone's missing and I don't know who it is. <laughs> oh, it's me. <laughs> Wait, I'm the one that left. Got it. <laughs> Did I leave the room, or am I still, or am I still in the room? No, I th- we, Mark and I, are, we're very lucky in that we have very, very similar tastes when it comes to whiskey. Yeah. Um, I haven't tried every single what whiskey. No, I have because I was at the show with Kate. I've tried everything they've done. Uh, I wasn't working. I was supposed to be. Um, we have very, very similar tastes, and um, to the point where when when. I think when Mark was at Duncan Taylor and, and wherever the hell I was, we were trying to outdo each other with drams. You know, try that, try that, try that. And we, of course, we'd love everything that we'd say, oh, that's not as good as this, but it was. Um, so we're very lucky that we, we don't, I don't think we've ever disagreed on a dram in our life, apart from Edward Al, but that's a whole other story. Um, yeah. <laughs> so what we're looking for really is a, a couple drams that we know we could sit and drink in an evening and just chew the cud. No, no mm. pun intended. Um, and we won a couple of You should of have intended that... some pun. I should have <laughs> intended that pun. I did. I did. He did. He's being modest. Okay. <laughs> and we won, we won a couple of drams that will challenge as well. So yeah. uh, uh, I'm trying to think out of the first series, uh, the Inver Gordon out of the Brandy. You yeah. know, that's a bit challenging. Mm. A few yeah. people, a few people didn't get it. A lot of people got it. And then this this series, we've got uh, the Manic Moor out of the Isla Cask, which um, just, just Mark and I, as soon as we tasted, it, we're like we're bottling that. Uh, and we had another one in an Isla Cask that we were also going to bottle, but um, Mark's yeah, well, got that for another. You've, you've also got to look at it as a range. Yeah, if you do, if you do six bottlings and the like, the one David's saying is is a uh, uh, Dumbarton. It's a it's it's a grain that was oh, in nice. an Isla cask as well, and it, yeah. it's like mescal, and we both absolutely loved it. Uh, and I'm going to bottle it for what whiskey in the future, um, and it'll probably tank because no one will like it. But it's just I love it. But um, when we're looking at it, we, said, we can't do two of them in six bottles. We can't have two Isla cask finishes. Yeah. You've got to, you know, and we, that would have meant having two grains as well, and you know. It's got to be stuff that we, we like and we put our names to or whatever, etc. But you've got to look at the the range. You can't you can't just go for six madcaps because mm, yeah. even we can't do that. Well, we could, but it's you've got to. Well, one of the things that that I enjoyed from the from the first series, specifically about the crafting Gaia, is that. Every other crafting gay I'd had up until that point has had this oxtail soup kind of note, right? This super heavy, funky, 
just meaty as all as all get out. But this Croftingea was soft and pretty and and filled with, you know, bready, you know, bready pastries and things like that. And the and the smoke was was gentle, uh incredibly gentle. And you know, it's one of these ones where you say, okay, if if their plan is to bottle off the beaten path wild and wacky whiskeys, well, Croft and Gaia in and of itself is an off the path wild and wacky whiskey. And what you've done is sort of the opposite. You said, here's a very tame version. And I really, really liked that expression of Croft and Gaia. It, it took me by surprise in, in, in the best way. Well, I think I think the reason it fit for that range, as Mark was saying, we had two Kalilas in that range, which yeah. we didn't intend, but we yeah. but we both picked one, so that was that. There were two Kalilas, so to have three very smoky, funky whiskies, because at least one of the Kalilas, the port one, I think I chose, was quite a funky whiskey yeah. as well. Um, but it, I wanted to hate that, but I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good title to a song, um, and and of course we are limited to what is available. I think this time round we had twenty samples, twenty one. Now that's not all the casks that Mark has available. You don't, you can't just write. I'll take a hundred samples and sit on. You know, that's twenty whittled yeah. down. You got, you guys know, that's whittled down. So you know, we could have had, we could have thirty manic moors or something. But what's the point in that? You can't do a can't do a bottling of six of manic moors. Uh, only one guy in Sweden would be happy if he did that. Um, so yeah, you, you, boy, would you've he got be to. I oh, he'd be. Yeah, that's yeah, right. We sold six bottles. Yay! Uh, um, <laughs> so yeah, it's it's difficult uh, range and quirky, but interesting, but affordable, but fun, but people will still drink, uh, so on and so forth. So I would say maybe this is more challenging for mark because i don't bottle anything else probably more challenging for mark with his casks to do the coups than it is to do what whiskey um hmm. there's there's nothing there's nothing in the coup though that i wouldn't bottle under what under what whiskey you know okay. obviously it's not like oh this is wacky we'll stick it in there you know the, the glen spay we had in the recent uh what whiskey release which stinks of balsamic vinegar is just like we were going through the samples here at this very table and that came up and it just hit us and I was like, I'm having that for what whiskey. You weren't as keen on it, I don't think, as as I was, David. Um and I think we did we did both like it, but it didn't fit into the range mm. because it was another wacky one. I was like, Yeah, we'll have that for that. And so Yeah, it was sherry cask, isn't it? So yeah. It, yeah. yeah. It's just yeah. reeks of balsamic, balsamic and it was And who doesn't fantastic. like a good balsamic? Well, and that's the thing, like, stinks of balsamic is not a, a tasting note that you hear very often, but you could see where that would be attractive yeah. and a point of difference and a head turner. And, yeah. the, the and thing again, was... with, with, with what whiskey, it was our fifth release, so we mm -hmm. can get away with mm -hmm. being a little bit more wacky mm -hmm. fifth release because, <laughs> you know, we've sold a few bottles so far. But, um, but no yeah, more I after the balsamic, though. That's the... Yeah. People... <laughs> Oh no, the the the, the Glen Space sold out in an instant. That was brilliant. But people know David and I fairly well. Well, the markets we're selling to know us reasonably well, and mm -hmm. they know we're going to be daft with our whiskey selections and daft with our 
play balls and daft with everything. But they know they can trust what's in the bottle. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, as much as we're idiots, um, we we do take our whiskey fairly seriously. It might be an oddball, but you can see the reason why we've bottled it. It's not being bottled just because it's daft. You know, we've mm. not just went, oh, let's go and find a tomato sauce cask and finish it in that for half an hour. You know, it's it's... It's done with madness, you know. It's, it, David taking notes. Madness, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> somewhere, you know. Just ring it up, see if I get a tomato sauce cast. cast do, do you know the, the other funny thing? I was just thinking about this, and it's funny having you here, Jason, is uh, there are some whiskies too that in a moment in time are so scorned upon, so looked mm. down, and then you give it a few years and it is hot topic stuff. And Le Check Le Daig is probably the very best example of that. When Mark and I were first bottling, you know, about the same time, you had Duncan Taylor and us, Cadence, whatever, you, you couldn't give it away. It was, a, it, when you, it, I'll sell you a, a cask of Ardbeg if you take these 10 Le Daigs. Um, yeah. It's like, oh, do, I have, do I have to take 10? Because really nobody's given a toss. And now... It's hot property. It's the new Ardbeg. You know, you want a cascular really day, we yeah. take these hundred whatever. So some of the things that we're mucking about with at the moment, somebody might say, oh, a Manic Morin and Isla cast, that's, you know, that's just too Fruit Loop. Well, you know what? Give it give it a few years. You know, it might be that people look back on that bottling with a certain, oh, wow, yeah, maybe these guys uh, – uh, ahead of their time. No, no. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we can ever recall that. that. <laughs> what a luck. The, the, the fact that I started collecting independently bottled Le Chig was because nobody wanted it. You could pick it up cheap as chips. And I, I loved that it was offering a side of the distillery that was not the standard releases, mm-hmm. and especially at a time when the cat urine note was on the OB Le Chigs. But IBs never showed that. And the very first time we, we met with you and drank with you, David, when you gifted that 1997 sherry-butt 15-year-old Le Chig, like, that's a dirty, nasty, down-in-the-mud Le Chig. And I couldn't love it more than I do. <laughs> but, God, it reflected a time when folk were still like, Le what? No, yeah. nope, avoid. And, and another example would be Ben Nevis. Yeah. Ben oh, absolutely, Nevis Mark. is just, yep. you know, it's, yep. yeah. The, the only thing that goes up higher in price faster is if Billy Walker buys a distillery. Um, but it's, you know, it, it's, it's, um, that's a story we need to tell as well, David. Uh. Um, but it's, um, <laughs> the, the, there are these things that, and I, I think Glen Elgin, is potential for, for that in the future. I know you always like Glen Elgin. Mm-hmm. I think we'll find that we'll tell too many people about it and then it'll take off and it'll be too too expensive. I, I think the one worth whispering is your Manicmore. Your Manicmore in, that you did for the Watt series was fucking brilliant. That's and now you've got a Manicmore in Yeah, in well, so we've, we, we, we've done a Manicmore in Brandy and a Manicmore in Isla. Like, maybe someday I'll bottle a naked Manicmore. And just, <laughs> raw. You know, yeah. Raw. But, raw Manicmore. Unplugged. <laughs> one, of the, one of the interesting things for me was, you know, sitting here, you know, being being one of the four here that, that, that gets a cask list 
And and I think back, David, to the Glenn Talker's 2008 Sherry Butts that you bottled that were, you know, dark as night, darker than Loch Du, speaking of Manic Moore. And, uh, and now the pricing for 2008 Sherry Butt Glenn Talker's from Brokers is just ridiculous. Like, no one knows Glenn Talker's. Why should it be this price? There it is, Jason. I can barely see it. You're in a dark room. All I see is you've presented me a black <laughs> hole. That's that's David's bottle. It's black. Sucks all the light. <laughs> right, and and so it's it's like Lechig, where no one gave a shit about it, and all of a sudden it's become a sort of the crown jewels, difficult to get. If you want that, mm. you have to get other stuff. We're seeing the same with Glenn Talkers as well. And Glenn Talker still doesn't have their own official bottling. Like, I, I don't know the point I'm trying to so, get at. I, I guess Benny I'm just Walker. exasperated by the idea uh, of it. But where do you think this is coming from? This, like, these stupid-ass prices for young sherry cask whiskey. Is it just that, that it's, they know it's going to be I, I dark think- liquid and... If you, if you make anything dark these days, people go crazy and the amount of st- well, this is the thing. People are seeing Glenn Talker's sherry butts or in I've seen Kregelicky sherry butts on um, price lists yeah. for forty, fifty, sixty thousand pounds. And you're like and then you know, for a laugh you ask for a sample. And it's <laughs> it's you know, pale as Pale as piss, yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, holding up a, a thing for a podcast that's fucking professional. How many times have you done this, Mark? <laughs> um, you know, but it's. it's you, you put Sherry Butt on a lot of brokers' lists. Sherry Butt just, you, you add a digit almost. It's, mm, it's yeah. ridiculous. And there's people going for it because. Because there's been these eight-year-old Glen Talkers and Dark Sherry that have been great. And remember the old, uh, like Adelphi did loads of the yeah, sure. um, Glen Roth as six-year-olds yeah. and stuff. Yeah. People think, oh, here's a six-year-old Glen Talkers and a Sherry, but it's going to be like that. <coughs> and they buy it blind and then go, ah, so I'm are, with that. are you saying <laughs> we only have David Sturk to blame for these crazy uh, cask prices? We, we, we have David Stuck to blame for a lot of things, but not cask prices, I would say. Uh, Just people have went nuts. Because the, the, the flipping market or the... Um, not so much flipping with casks, but people seeing... You know, cask investment. Again, cask investment bl- blame yeah. Billy Walker. You know, they see, oh, dark Glenallachy, dark Glendronach. You know, the price rises, the price rises. And so people think, ah, oh, sherry casks. And there's all these people trying to invest in whiskey. So they want a sherry butt mm, because that's mm. going to go up in price. Mm. And then they, they get the sample of the cask that they've bought. And, you know, nine times out of ten, it's, it's just been re-racked three days ago. Or, <laughs> so. <laughs> so, so you're actually bringing me around to the, to the future portion of this. And, and Joshua's the optimist in this family and, and I'm the pessimist. But I, I'm kind of curious here. You talk about coming into whiskey at a time when it was it was quite serious and it was quite twee, and you work diligently uh, along with other people to try and relax it. Clearly, you've got Electric Coup series. 
which is having a laugh and playing around with the seriousness uh, and the preposterous nature of some tasting notes. Um, do you worry that the industry is becoming too serious again? We're seeing the luxury car partnerships and we're seeing the bespoke shoe partnership and the bespoke watches partnerships. Is the industry trending in that direction, do you think, or is it just a segment? And if some of us keep having fun, we might be able to hold on to this a little bit longer. Mm. It's <laughs> both it silent. Has, it, it has <laughs> caught the eye of the investor and um, it, it, it has done it in the last three to five years in such a, as Mark was saying before, with these prices and, um, you know, you, you only have to go back five years and there were three places, four places to auction a bottle. And really there were only two, hmm. you know, kind of McTeers and Sotheby's, that kind of thing. There was Bonhams as well. And then all of a sudden, I don't, I don't know how many of the places there are now to auction bottles. There are some places that are continuous, non-stop auctioning bottles. And, of course, with limited nature of things, certain things go up in value and that attracts people. I can make an immediate return. And, and the returns don't have to be big for it to suddenly attract more people and more people. And now you've got people realizing, well, if I can make that on a bottle, what can I make on a cask? Uh, and that yeah. attracted a whole another legion of people. And now you've got cask auction sites, and some of those are nearly continuous as well. So we have speculation, and we have people with money. Um, and I'm sure you know Mark will back me up on this. I, I don't have I, money. I, <laughs> I get You're back up that David has money. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I get asked. I get asked all the time. Oh, so, somebody said I should get into whiskey as an investment, and I, I just—it's always that. It's always that statement. I should get into whiskey, and I think, well, what, what do you mean? Put your swimming trunks and dive into it. What? What do you mean? Get into whiskey? And my advice to them is always the same: go out and make friends with your local retailer. And when you get stuff in that's limited, buy it and keep it on your shelf and maybe drink some of it, you know. Don't mm -hmm. go looking for casks of whiskey because I'm not going to sit and tell you how to do that um, because the more people like you who join in, the less us four guys get to bottle affordable whiskey and drink whiskey and go to festivals and pour whiskey and have these tastings and do this stuff. Um, now... People might be listening to this and say, well, it's all well and good. You you sold out. You know, you're you're part of the problem. Yes, and I and I and I can't really argue with that. Yes, I did sell out. Um, but you show me one cask on the market that came from me, uh, you can't. So I sold out in a way that kept that <laughs> this is audio only, right? No. Yeah. <laughs> no, that didn't come from that. Um but it, I saw the writing on the wall. That was part of the reason why why I, I sold out. Yeah. I was I was literally looking. Those Glen Tockers are a good example. I was buying them for whatever, selling them to the US, and knowing on every single cask I was losing money because to replace it was going to cost me double. Mm. And I think to, one and of the to live like that was was tough. Yeah. 
and you guys all know this as well, but one of the, the big problems, and, you know, Josh and Jason, you've been bottling for much longer than I have, which is annoying. Um, but um, you, you guys are the old hats compared with me and David that are new bottlers now. Um, <laughs> but it's... <laughs> this is the sound of me shaking my head, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But you, um, you look at the market today, and I, I'm lucky David's been in the NSA longer than I have, and, and we are fairly close. We're closer to the source of the casks than a lot of people coming in. And I'm a geek, um, and every time I get offered a cask, I log it in a spreadsheet. Uh, you know, the cask, the details, blah, 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 hmm. the price, the date, and everything. And you get people now that are pretending to be whiskey barons, that they have, well, look <laughs> at me, I have a thousand casks, look at my list. And you go, well, I've been offered that same cask by five different people this week at five different prices. Mm-hmm. And it annoys me because a lot of the time, well, the prices are too high, and our people are taking a piss with their margins, Yeah. Um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But it's mm-hmm. also the, the people that know me that are sending me lists that know that I know that that is on someone else's list and they're not even bothering to no, take know. it off. So some of them don't even bother changing the format of... They just copy and paste it. Yes. And you're like, well, that's the same. I can actually almost go into the spreadsheet and work out the percentage you've added on. Oh, 100%. I've done it, yep. From, yeah. yeah, from the cell. <laughs> yeah. And 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 that I think has changed it because a lot of these people that are wanting to invest in whiskey now are they don't have access to the like I'm not buying much direct. Um I've I think they've bought, we've bought three casks direct from distilleries, maybe four. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which that's a percentage of what we've done is probably pretty high. But because <laughs> uh, we've done hee haw. But um a lot of other people that have not been in the industry for 20 years, 10 years or whatever, don't have access to this. So they're buying from maybe the third, fourth, fifth person. Yeah, sure. And people are seeing these casks selling. And I see these casks selling to people who should know better. And you think, that's what's ruining it for us, that the now uh, a dark cherry going talkers is more than you want to pay. But, it, but is it, when you say people are buying it, and, and therefore, uh, you know, almost by someone purchasing that, they're almost, um, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Why can't I think of words today? They're, they're setting the benchmark. Yeah, you know, almost yeah. almost proving the point that that yeah. cask is is actually worth that when, when we know, in fact, that is not what the cask is actually worth. Yeah. Um, but you, you, you've got to look at your customer. And different people are bottling for different customers. Some people are bottling for high ends, don't care, they want a fancy wooden box and they want a crystal decanter. To be honest, whatever's inside the bottle is fairly irrelevant. You know, it's we're at that price point, et cetera, et cetera. I think we're bottling for people to drink. Yeah. And I always look at it, and I'm sure David's the same, I'm sure you guys are the same. I look at it and go, would I pay that for it? And I'm from the northeast of Scotland, so, you know, I'm like, almost as tight as David. And it's, you know, it's, we're looking at a segment of the market that want to drink and want to, uh, you know, 
it's it's a it's a luxury product at the end of the day, whatever yeah. it is that we're sure. bottling. Yeah, true. But it's you know, we want I want to feel that I can afford to open the bottlings that we boil instead of going, Oh, this is worth seven hundred pounds. I could pay my mortgage this month or I could drink this bottle of whiskey, you know, should I sell it? So but there's other people that seven hundred quid yeah. I mean I, I got offered a cask of Macallan today that would have worked out cost price five thousand pounds a bottle Oof. before you even before you even put um, uh, glass or bottling to be honest at that age still the price of a bottle is irrelevant when you're spending five thousand on the liquid but you know but that will probably sell yeah but who, who doesn't love a six year old Macallan yeah but that's not that's that's not the market that we're selling to so yeah no. you so but unfortunately the people that are selling to that market are knocking down and affecting our market so yeah. are the prices and, and and I think I know the answer to this but but at the same time I think there are, are multiple answers to this question do you think the overall cost of casks that's that's really and, and traditionally meant to be within industry, right? You know, from brokers to bottlers. Do you think that has gone up? Those costs have predominantly gone up because of cask investment, because of cask auctioning, or do you think that part of it too is some bottlers? And, and I'm not going to mention any names here. Will see a cask like that and say, you know what? I've got a client that will purchase that. And you know what? I will pay that because they will pay that. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And, uh, that, that is a huge, huge part of it. And you have with that as well the um, new bottler, and I'm talking about really the last two to – three, four years that can look at a cask of whiskey and say there's 300 bottles in that yeah. and I can sell it direct to the consumer at X amount and make five, 10 pounds a bottle, whatever. Um, and I can make three grand just like that in an instant. Yeah. yeah. And whereas uh, Mark and I have always been, we need... Um, retailers, first and foremost, retailers, bars, restaurants, uh, they are the lifeblood of the industry. Um, that's how we got started, but both in work and in passion. If it wasn't for bars and retailers, um, that's how we met. <laughs> God, we might not have met Mark. Um, I know. So if, if people were selling their whiskey direct, we might not have met. Yeah, and it and it, it's now got to the point where you have clubs, and Mark and I are members of these clubs on uh, Facebook and otherwise, where the price is such that people will buy a bottle and and disperse samples because of the cost of these bottles, <laughs> and they are being sold direct to the clubs by these bottlers who have no interest in distributors, no interest in retailers. So if, if a cask of whiskey is £10,000, Mark and I will sit down and we'll say, right, that's £10,000. We've got a bottling cost. We've got a labeling cost. We've got a tax cost. We've got a profit cost. 
we've got uh, a distribution cost, an importer cost, and a retailer cost, and then their tax cost. And we have to factor all of those things in. The same bottler can look at that and go, I can sell that off my website with one, you know, I've got a bottler, I've got a, a, a label, I've got a tax, and my profit, and that's it. Cutting out all of those other costs. So suddenly, something that's stupidly priced to us is reasonably priced to them. And the amount of times I've heard brokers say to me, I've got so-and-so available, do you want some? And I'll say, yeah. And they say, well, I've just sold it for this. And I know exactly where it's gone because I can work the margins. I'm not stupid. I've seen it on the market. And those same people, when I challenge, get you know they call me dinosaurs. They say you 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 don't understand the way the market's going, man. Get with the times, man. All this kind of crap, and it does my head in. It does my head in because my my the last twenty years, Mark and I have been traveling around the world, visiting bars, hotels, retailers. They're the people we love. They're the real brand ambassadors. I'm on my soapbox now. I don't know if you've noticed. Um, Stay up there. Warming I love up, it. people. I love it. He's yeah. warming up, but it, it does my head in. It absolutely does my head in. To, and, and when I say to them, "You're the reason cash prices have gone up. You're the major reason, not not investors. You're the major reason because the investment cash don't get to consumers. They don't get yeah. it. It's the yeah. other stuff that gets there. Um, and you know, they, to be called a dinosaur with that. Well, okay, if you want to see all the retailers, distributors, and bars and restaurants not have whiskey anymore, or, or even worse, the bars now have to buy it direct off you rather than going to the local shop and supporting yeah. them. And I think there's also like it's when we set up we well whiskey we were like we don't want to sell direct for that exact reason and the fact that we would have to work um, and that would be a pain, but. You know, it's it's one thing selling, you know, a, a Highland Park or a, you know an Imperial or whatever direct. You know, a Manic Moore two thousand and eight, Exila cask. You know, well, it turns out it sold pretty well. But you know, it it's not something that that you're going to. And I see a lot of these people doing these bottlings. And it's all just big names, big names, big names, mm-hmm. or like easy sells, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and what David and I and what you guys are doing, you're building a brand where you're letting people try. Craig Gellicke's, Balmenix, you know, Ben Vrinis, et cetera, et cetera, that are not necessarily the easiest sells. And that's why you need to reward your, your importers and your retailers with the Imperials and the... Highland Parks and the, you know, whatever else we might get. I mean, you know, and I think people forget that. When, when I started started in the industry, um, I was on the shop floor. And it's the person on the shop floor that is the most important person to your business. Like, you know, I've taken Royal Mile Whiskies, for example. It's owned by Keir Short, great guy, Dundee United fan, but we'll let him off. Um, <laughs> he's built a brilliant business there and he's great. But when was the last time he was on the shop floor selling, hand selling a bottle of whiskey? Our stuff a lot of the time needs hand selling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why that's why you need and I think David and I, you guys are saying we build relationships with these people. We know bartenders around the world. We know we know shopkeepers, but we know the people on the shop floor because they come to us, they speak to us. And I think that's 
that's what differentiates some bottlers from from the the guys that kind of David was speaking about. Mm-hmm. But but it's, it's interesting. I, I didn't think when I woke up this morning I'd be hearing an impassioned defence of the American three tier system. God damn it, Jason! <laughs> that was my point. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Right. All right. Yeah, <laughs> and so the, so the fact that over here, you know, when we started with the nation and we were online, we still must go through the importer, the distributor, and the retailer yeah. for that direct yeah. service to a consumer. Even, even in your three tier market, there are those companies that fudge the system. Oh and, yeah, there there there's and, there's uh, pass throughs, right? There's the importer yeah. that can make a small margin distributor that can make a small margin. And the, and the big boys but, that can, yeah. you know, they are all, all things to all people pretty much um, until it hits Costco's floor, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that, yeah, if, if you want to fudge the system, you can fudge the system. It's, it's, it's the mm-hmm. people who, you know, I would never have got into America and broken America, which is something I always wanted to do if I not met Sam. And if I'd ever begrudged the margin that sat, sorry, we're talking about impacts. Uh, yeah. Beverages. If I'd begrudged the margin that Sam made, and just thought, do you know what? I can do uh, uh, the same model as a certain retailer in California. I could have done that. I could have just, you know, messed up the all of the work and the passion, the commitment that Sam and his team put in. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's the same idea, and and certainly I've seen it a lot in Europe. And I, it's funny, I've got this story of Little Mill. I remember when I had a bunch of what were they, ninety-one Little Mills, and I remember offering one to a customer in Europe, and their response was, "Oh, is this going through your importer?" I said, "Yeah, everything goes on, oh, no, no, we we want it direct because we don't want to pay no margin." It's too expensive otherwise. Mm. And within like 12 months, that little mill was worth 50% more than what it was. And I just thought, you know what? You, to, to cut off a tiny bit, to begrudge a company that works really hard mm-hmm. and does a lot of work and goes to the shows and, and protects my brand and looks after me, um, yeah. it's that it's that mentality that I, that I don't like. Um, you know, there's one very famous bottler near me that never goes to a show at all. There's a whiskey, you know, a whiskey bottler. Um, never goes to a show. Has no representation of their brand. Has no importers, no retailers. Sells a huge amount direct. You'll see it on the websites. You'll see it on Facebook, social media, whatever. And people go on about how much of a bargain this is. And I'm thinking, yeah, but when you go into town and you go to your local retailer, when you go to the festival and you drink those bottles. All you're really doing is sticking your fingers up to these people and saying, oh, you, you know, if you could just cut out all of this stuff and sell it to me direct, you know. Um, again, I'm on the soapbox. I'm very sorry. No, I, but I couldn't agree more with you, David. And we, we get into arguments with people all the time about this kind of thing. And, you know, I've also been called a dinosaur or whatever. But for me, the booze industry is about relationships. You know, it's it's who you have relationships with. Um it's, you know, like, you look at what whiskey. We are in Belgium, Denmark, Taiwan, Japan, and the UK. We could be in more if we had more stock, but 
I don't really want to. Yeah, uh, maybe one day we'll go to America or whatever. But that's me you know, winking at you. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Well, I'll, I'll I'll be I'll be seeing you in a few hours for a, another tasting, probably. Um, but um, it's it's one of these things that you know, Japan. I've spent a lot of time there, going around the bars and building those relationships, and you know that's what has helped Walt Whiskey. That when we started on our own, the fact that I went around all these bars in Japan for years and spent Cadden Heads and Duncan Taylor's money in the bars, they're now <laughs> respending it on me. Um, you know, and Kate's built up relationships with the Kinder or whatever. It's it, you know, that that means much more than a quick buck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you're helping that bar mm-hmm. survive. You're help because and they're helping you survive, and it's you know it keeps coming full circle. Yeah. But when you can say, you know, I've been going to the Mashtan in Tokyo for the last well, 15 years, or, you know, I mean, it's been a while now, but, you know, uh, Delilah's, you know, being in there or whatever, and, you, you, you know, you build up relations to Highlander Inn, that's you, the Highlander Inn, etc. It's, for me, that makes it much, much more satisfying having people that know you and people that allegedly like you handling your stuff and buying your stuff, but buying your stuff because they trust you, not because, well, we're doing you a favour, you know. Um, it's, um, hopefully, that's why they're doing it. So, uh, go ahead, Jason. Before you circle into what I think is the final question, yeah. I have to go, um, my Kai has a band concert tonight, guitar, you chaps will appreciate that, and clarinet. Um, but I gotta At get the same him. time. Is, that, is yeah. this how you play the clarinet? Yeah, multi-talented. <laughs> I think that's it. I think you're thinking of the I want to see him flute. play the guitar oh, and clarinet the, at the same time. That's the trouser flute. That's the trouser flute. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I gotta go feed him and we gotta take care of a tuxedo and then I gotta get him over to the school. So I'm going to leave you to wrap up the final question. Gentlemen, thank you for your time. Brilliant, brilliant getting to just sit and dram with you, to be honest. But It's nice to see you, turn- Santa Claus. Nice to see you. Yeah, yeah. Cheers, yeah. I'm busy on the 24th. Just don't, don't ask me to do anything on that date. So. Well, I don't believe in you, so... I'm about to disappear. But I can see you. Excellent. Be well, chaps. Talk to you soon. Cheers, Joshy. Yes. So uh, actually what I was about to say is I can hear dinner being prepared downstairs, which means my house is only going to get louder, which means it's probably a good time to ask the final question. There's been Electric Coup 1, Electric Coup 2. Whether it's Electric Coup 3 or, or you know some of your other projects, whether it's Watt Whiskey or David, I, kn- I know now you're with North Star Spirits. What do you? What has you excited for twenty twenty two? What What can we look forward to? Well, do you know what? Before I came out tonight, I was having dinner. Well, I so that's a lie because I didn't. Uh, but the kids were having dinner with Kate because uh, I had a big lunch. That's beside the point. And we were talking about the electric. Coup. I was like Zach, so my nearly seven year old son. I was like, oh, going to do a thing tonight for an electric coup. He said, like, Oh, I've got an idea. Your next release, you could do electric coup at the circus, and you could have them all um, like 
old circus posters and you know trapeze Barnum and something Barnum. Oh, I love it. Brilliant. Peter Barnum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Peter Barnum. That's it. So, so yeah, it's great that my seven-year-old is excited about electric coup as much as we are. It's um, yeah. Hopefully, we'll do some more. Can we get the guest uh, guest taste on the back? Zachary's notes. Yeah. <laughs> would, that, would that contravene certain laws? I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm sure we can. Do you know what? Zach technically picked our crowdfunder bottle. Really? We had two casks that we were um, we were deciding between, and you know we've bottled them both since. But I was like, can have that? And I went, Zach. I mean, we we'll only let him smell it. But like Zach, smell these two. Which one would you pick? And he went that one. So he technically picked the. 16 year old Orkney as our crowdfunder bottling. Oh, so, I love that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so hopefully we'll do some more electric coup. We've uh, lots of things to come out um, and more what whiskey. We're looking to do four releases hopefully this year. But okay. uh, we've, got, we've got another one booked for bottling at the end of January. Um, the labels are arriving on Monday, so that we're ahead of schedule by quite a bit. Okay, and any one bottling out of the, out of the range you're most excited about? The what? The upcoming what whiskey or the? Yeah, yeah, yeah the upcoming yeah. what whiskey. Uh, we've we've got, we've got a milk and honey coming. Oh, nice! Um, yeah. which I've is, tried that too. Yeah, that's good. That's really yeah. good. Um, you, which, have you ever heard of milk and honey, Joshua? You know this guy? Yeah. Yeah. Milk and honey sounds familiar. Yeah. Sounds sounds yeah. kind of Jewy. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, stuff to say. I mean, the, 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 I'm waiting wait for the manor bottling. You Why haven't they done a manor? Yeah. It must be a manor, a manor bottling coming out at some point. And <laughs> yeah, it, it needs to sort of you buy it and it comes out like that, floats down. Yeah, it's cascade manor, which is wonderful. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, the bottling that's just got a gap in the middle, and the label's just a guy. You know, yeah. Okay. Sorry, these are all sort of biblical jokes. But, uh, it's all good, though. Yeah, because, again, buying from Milk and Honey, a bit like when we bought the Paul John from Shelton, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we're dealing direct with distilleries, yeah. which is not something we get to do that often. I know you guys do it more, particularly in America, than, than, than we do. But um, I just always remember I, went, I was lucky to get to go to Israel and went around Milk and Honey and it was the best distillery tour ever. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, wa- I walked in and Tomer handed me a pint. I was like, sweet. He's <laughs> like, you'll need this. We're going for a distillery tour. It's like, oh, happy days. And I think we had a few and then cracked open some cast samples. And I think uh, that was that was one that blew me away. And, and it's, yeah, it's it's young, but it should be young because of the temperature, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it's not; it doesn't taste forced. You know, there's a lot of stuff these days that's hitting the market that's been put into overly active casks to be sold at two and a half minutes past its third birthday, um, <laughs> and it's it's nice and it's interesting. But there's a lot of new stuff, new distilleries that I'm quite excited about that. It's going to be interesting to see where they. This is not nothing to do with what whiskey. We're not actually going to bottle any of these new things. But you know, Arden Merkin is doing great stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that caught me um, was Lindor's. I was oh, yeah, really impressed yeah. with that. I tasted it, and I think it was because I was at tasting in Dufton, and again, all roads lead back to Whiskey Festival in Dufton. <laughs> 
And we, we tried the Ardner Market, and it was really good. But I wasn't surprised because I expected it to be really good because yeah. everything those guys do is brilliant. And Lindor's had kind of not been on my radar that much, if that makes sense. And when I tried it, I was like, darn it, this is... So it was the kind of revelation, if that makes sense. I th- probably think the Ardner Market's better, but it was just that I wasn't expecting as much from the Lindor. So it's all about managing expectations about a lot of things, I think. Gotcha. That's why I set the bar low when I'm trying to, you know, <laughs> for most things. <laughs> yeah, go in with low expectations and be pleasantly surprised. How about, how about you, David? What, what was the question? Uh, sorry, what, uh, what has you excited <laughs> in, in in 2022 and, and beyond, whether it's North Star or Electric Coup or some other projects you've got going on? Well, yeah, I think I think Mark and I maybe do one of these a year until we get bored of it. So, uh, and we we should be meeting up in May for your for your day. Is it May, Mark? Yes, yeah. May the May. May day. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to hopefully just traveling. Uh, everything was knocked on the head this year, which sucked. Um, I'm looking forward to being a bigger part of North Spirits. Uh, Ian's got some fantastic ideas, uh, but yeah, same. Mark and I will probably do. We'll do. We'll do one coup a year, unless it, unless we get bored or there's demand. We are thinking of doing a Japanese exclusive, so there might yeah. be a few casts going to, uh, hmm. to the land of the rising sun. Um, we have to talk. The, to we also need. We also need to figure out a way of getting Croucher involved and maybe some other people so it can be like, you know, crouching coup, hidden something else, you know. Yeah, I think Croucher, Tiger, hidden coup is probably, yeah, yeah, I think that's... I do know a guy in China that's called Tiger, so we could get him involved, but it's... I think Mr. Woods in America might have a problem with that. Do one one with a smashed up leg, cow with a smashed up leg. (laughs) <laughs> anyway Ooh. too soon too soon nah. yeah so I, I don't know I'm, I'm involved in the whole as you know I'm involved with a whole load of stuff and uh, uh, I'm very much hoping that the world can can get back to some sort of normality next year and just as Mark said just to see people uh, mm-hmm. I miss you guys you know I miss yeah, I miss how, how casual everything was and how easy everything was and uh, just going for a drink and stuff like that so yeah, yeah. Look forward to it. Yeah, yeah. Well, gents, gents, it has been a wonderful catch up. Thank you both again so much. Um, your friendship means the world, and the conversation is always great. Likewise, sir. Likewise. Lovely seeing you, my friend. Always a ton of fun getting to hang out with with Mark and David, and. Oh, gosh, I know we've said it a gamillion times, but not seeing them in person, not drinking with them in person, not getting to see their their respective other halves, um, you know, Don and Kate, who are also wonderful, wonderful human beings. Um, as we said before we went into the interview, it's COVID times, mm-hmm. nothing's perfect, and not dramming with good friends is far from perfect but getting to hang out with them for a little bit in december was a ton of fun that was okay 
And if we play our cards right, maybe we'll get to see them this year. I'm, I'm really hoping on that. I like your use of maybe. Potentially. Potential. Oh, that was last episode. That was that was that was last extra extra. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the word potentially doesn't have a month hidden in it though. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, I see what you did there. Oh. <laughs> Only I saw what you did there. So, <laughs> so now you've seen me seeing you see what you did there. I don't have any witty. Uh, I don't. I, I, yes, I see. I saw everything. Well, I'm I'm currently reading a book on on quantum mechanics, and so you seeing me seeing what you've done there sounds very quantum. Ooh, what book? What book is it you're reading? I'll have more in a future episode for you. I wanted to circle back. But to... wait, wait, wait. <laughs> what if we started a book club, Jason? Let's start a book club. Fuck off. No. <laughs> I want to read about, I love, I was in the bookstore just the other day. and I, I was, would be happy for you and I to start a book club that you and I are members of. And that's the extent of it. Well, <laughs> what, I, what I was going to say is I was in the bookstore the other day in the science section. And quantum always excites me. So maybe later at the later date, you could tell me about this book. Can't believe you're keeping it from me and our listeners, but... <laughs> You know, this well, I've, is, only, I've learned to live I'm with it. I'm only halfway through it at the moment, and so I can't say more on it because maybe it falls off a cliff and becomes the worst thing I've ever read. So far, that's not going to happen. See, but you a, never know. On a quantum level, if you're halfway there, that means the other half has already been done somewhere else. Well, and I'm, and I'm in big trouble. If Zeno's paradox is true, I will never actually complete this book. So, What if it's the xenomorph paradox? <laughs> what if it's the matrix? I don't know. We're just throwing words at each okay, other sorry. now. I was going to circle back for, for curious <laughs> listeners when I'd, I'd delivered a couple of Kulholmans into my earlier spiel. And so one of them mm-hmm. was the eight-year-old Madeira finish selected by Gene Charnas at Warehouse Liquors in ah, Chicago. Yes, that was last year's, my favorite Kilhoman of last year. There you go. Yeah, and any time I need to pull a Kilhoman off the shelf that will just do what I need it to do of an evening, that's that's an automatic for me. Mm. I think I've said this to you previously, but oftentimes as I transition from the end of the workday into dinner making time, mm-hmm. I will pour a cheeky a cheeky wee fino, and you can imagine at Shabbat. I am most definitely going to pour a fino when I'm making dinner. Fino sherry. A fino sherry. But what then happens for me is I've got the glass that's held my fino. It's a sherry copita that I absolutely love. I've had it for easily two decades at this point. Really wonderful glass. But it's now got notes of fino in it by the time I've finished that sherry. Mm -hmm. So what I do is I pull the Kilhoman Fino matured from 2020. Mm-hmm. I pull that bottling from my shelf and that's what goes into my sherry, my ex sherry glass. Mm-hmm. I enjoy that. And now I've transitioned into the Kilhoman world. And so I then pour the Kilhoman Madeira, in this case, the Jean Charnas edition, into my glass. 
and I'm living in a Kilhoman world. It's it's a fun little pattern and, and one that I've quite happily fallen into. One thing I find myself, well, I shouldn't say I find myself doing this. I haven't done this in a while, but this is something I've I used to do quite a bit. Is if I were drinking an Oloroso of an evening or some Fino or or what have you, insert sherry wine here. And I were interested in transitioning to whiskey. Sometimes I would pour just a straight up ex bourbon cask whiskey, first fill, second fill, whatever the case may be. And sometimes just add a dash or two, mm. could be a drop. It could be three mm-hmm. drops. It could be a dash of that sherry that I was drinking into the whiskey. So you have this non-sherry matured whiskey with a dash of sherry in there. Now, granted, what I've done is I've made a cocktail. It's, it really is no longer <laughs> whiskey at that point. But it, like that was, for me, a really fun way of exploring the flavors if I didn't have that particular cast type around, um, you know, from that distillery or this distillery. And, and that was always fun for me to do. I, I just haven't done that in a while. Just as you mentioned cocktails a second ago, I mentioned the Toronto in our last episode. <laughs> yes. And there have been responses. Mm-hmm. And Seabass, um, Chris Sebastian, he, he sent me the makeup that he'd worked on. He'd made a Toronto. Local friends. I was drinking Torontos with them. They were digging on them. And then James Foster, who we're saving a, a few James Foster emails for the mailbag episode. But James Foster sent in a very cool, I think it's five words. Try the Toronto with G-O-T Lagavulin. Game of Thrones Lagavulin. Oh, that's interesting. And I have two bottles of that. That's the one Game of Thrones thing I actually bought. bought. Um, what does he say happens? He, that, that was, as the kids say, that was the email. Interesting. So, But it's interesting, right? Because yeah. we talked about using Old Forester rye in it to then have... Lagavulin, that's a big change. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, both are sweet whiskeys, just sweet for different reasons. Obviously, the Lagavulin has the smoke and the Old Forester has a bit of spice. That's interesting. So I would think that you mix... The fernet with the Lagavulin, so now you've got herbaceousness mixing in with the sweet and the smoke, and then the maple syrup just adding in a bit more sweet and some of that texture. Yeah, that. <laughs> I mean, it's all a balancing act, right? I, I think that I'm should be the name your of that face cocktail. As you're describing that, well, it's because I'm thinking about how all of the flavors are going to balance each other out, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I and I like that, right? It almost sounds as if What's that drink? I think it's called The Last Word, where mm. it's mezcal and gin and lime juice and, like, the kitchen sink. It's just everything, and it shouldn't work. 
-hmm. but it ends up being a phenomenal drink because everything is so perfectly balanced. And that's what his version of your Toronto sounds like. Well, and, and that's what I've enjoyed with the feedback around the Toronto is, is just the number of people saying that quarter ounce of maple syrup mm. brings so much to the party. It's a really wonderful component. So that's been, yeah, that's been very cool. I'm glad that, glad that Toronto has resonated with people who have, have thrown themselves in there. Also, somebody tagged me on the Instagrams where Sagamore... What was the rest of their name? Sagamore Spirit? Sagamore? It was their rye, anyway. They, yeah. they did a posting of something that looked exactly like a Toronto. There was maybe an additional ingredient in there. Maybe some bitters, actually. Hmm. And and somebody had tagged me and said, this sounds like, you know, Johnston Yellen's uh, Toronto from the last episode of One Nation Under Whiskey. So... <laughs> <laughs> And again, like Toronto's not mine. I don't even know if Toronto's the, the most commonly used name for that cocktail, but that's that's my experience as this observer has been sharing it. Should we each come to next episode with our own cocktails? Yours could be the Bridgewater, mine could be the Guilford. Oh, yeah. Come on. I, I tried I to bring know. book. I tried to bring book club to you. No, I try to bring no cocktail, cocktail club, club to next, you. Next fight club? Can't talk about that. <laughs> First rule of cocktail club, we don't post it on the podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I'm just, like I've got my Gringroni up my sleeve, right? I'm, I'm so proud of my Gringroni and, and every time I... Every time I present that, you always say, but, but it doesn't sound anything like a Negroni. <laughs> like, <laughs> but it's delicious. I, I like it a lot. That's and I love the name of it. Yeah. That, that mole uh, from Basic City, the, the, um, the Mexican mole stout that I mentioned yeah. earlier in this podcast, um, is called Gringo. <laughs> so, so my question, I thought of my Gringroni as soon as I saw that. My question to you is, was that made with mole sauce? Because mole sauce is not vegetarian. It's usually made with beef stock. It, no, no, there's no mole sauce in it. I think they probably just use some of the, the mole spicing or, yeah. or as you see a lot of the mole chocolate. I think it's just gotcha. really a shortcut for a spicier chocolate. Gotcha. Okay. Like the, the stone one, the X, what's it? Exo, oh, it's yeah. not Exolote, but Exo Xenomorph. That's the one. Xenomorph, I think yeah, it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Exo Coveza is is using that kind of mole chocolate uh, approach, okay. and is also absolutely delicious. Um, but anyway, before we kind of ramble too far here, um, thank, thanks to David and uh, and Mark for their for their time and their their uh, camaraderie. That's the word I'm struggling mm. for. Um, I was going to say there is no news segment today. However, well. we are working on a, a new company website. Mm -hmm. and, and that will be ripe for release sometime in the very near future. If you are a, a Single Cast Nation online member here in the United States, the buying page is not going to change. So don't, don't, don't worry. Um, but we are very excited to have a much more in-depth, detailed, present company 
Correct. presence on the interwebs. Cor- correct. Yeah. Just to be clear, singlecastnation.com will remain singlecastnation.com. The website, Jason, that you're referring to is specific to J&J Spirits, of which Singlecast Nation is just one leg in the stool. You know, we've got uh, other brands we're going to be launching. Obviously, One Nation Under Whiskey is sort of its own little brand in and of itself, right? But we have other alcohol brands we're going to be launching and other things we're going to be doing. And that will be the repository. Is that what we call it? Is that what the kids call it? It's always such a dangerous word because it sounds exactly like the type of medicine that you stick up your arse. (laughs) You're supposed to. That's why they call it a suppository. You're supposed to. Right. Yeah. Right. It's a, yeah. Gosh, it's so funny talking about, you know, all my uncles getting together drinking. That was always a joke. You had to give them the suppository would... as well, not just a drink, but just. <laughs> yeah, they, I always remember my uncle Gilbert saying, I went to the doctor and he, he gave me some pills, called them suppositories. I, I don't know what that means, but for all the good they did, I should have stuck them up my arse. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, I also remember Uncle Gilbert telling that joke regularly. That was the thing about jokes. You could just repeat all the good ones, right? You just, like you just circled back to the good ones for any particular event. So, um, But yes, a, a repository for the brand is not the way we're ever going ever gonna to say it. But yes, you are correct in your, in your meaning there. Um, and then we're not going to do an email because obviously we're, we're building towards the mailbag episode, which will be the very next episode. And the, and the final of season five. Season five is about to close, Jason. That's remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. The, as much as we're not having an email today, we did get to throw in correspondence from James Foster mm-hmm. and Seabass. Correct. So there's that. Because our last episode will be the annual mailbag episode, mm-hmm. that's really the reason why we're not bringing any emails in on this episode. But, but because of that, I wanted to remind people, you have until January 30th, 2022, to get your question in for the mailbag episode. We've already s- received a number of emails. We, can't, we have indeed. Right? We, we can't list them all we can't answer them all in the episode but that doesn't mean don't send them in because you may have a killer question that we just say you know what we got to answer that so please do you can can email us questions at one nation under whiskey info at singlecastnation.com if if that's preferred um you can always send us a message through instagram one at one nation under whiskey you can send us a message through facebook as well shit if you're on twitter you could do it there at One Nation Whiskey. Send us, send us the DM. Fill our DMs, We've got, as the kids say. Do the kids say that? I think the kids say no. The kids say slide into my DMs. Slide into my DMs. That sounds naughty. That sounds real it's naughty. It's very Jesse. naughty. It's very naughty. You, you, if you think that's naughty, get get this, Joshua. Mm. Netflix and chill, which the kids say. Yeah. Also naughty. Netflix naughty. and chill is naughty. I thought. Yeah, I always thought it, it was watch a movie and eat some ice cream. Yeah. Nope. Nope. No, it's naughty. Does that have something to do with like penises and stuff? Always the penis of you. <laughs> uh, I I am both excited for our mailbag episode see. as well as the start 
of our season six, which we've we've just secured an interview that is going to be absolutely epic. No news here, just a tease. There's going to be an epic season six opener. So really excited about that. Um, <laughs> is there anything else you wanted to say in closing, Jason? I'm just really happy that we get to do this. Do what? What's happening here? What was that? I'm sentence? sorry. Wait. What? What? Is, sorry. Let me stop what I'm doing. That that we get to do what? <laughs> yes, the podcast. Oh, the people pod- listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> you and I talk to each other. People listen to it. Thanks for that. So, does not excite you. Doesn't bring. What you an joy. interest. What an interesting place to take that. <laughs> Let's see how much of that I use. <laughs> do you have suppositories on the brain now? I do. Is that what we've done you here? You mentioned suppositories, and I just want. Man, I thought that's what you well, were suppository can, can, to do. I supposed to do. I can, I can, I can utter something I have never uttered in my life. These are a collection of words that I have never said up to this point. All <laughs> with you. <laughs> On that note, Jason. I'm going to very awkwardly walk out of here now. (laughs) More like uncomfortably. Um, On that note, I'm going to raise my glass to you, to to both uh, Mark and David, and of course to our listeners. I I understand we are not at the end of the fifth season, but it feels awfully damn close (laughs) because it is. And... And not a day goes by where I'm not thankful for each and every one of our listeners. So I raise my glass to them, to you, to Mark, to David. And to all, a good day. I said, good day. Sir, you stole fizzy lifting drinks. You. What do you say? That's what you say when you say, I say good day, sir. That's when Willy Wonka says, You stole fizzy lifting drinks. We had to clean the thing because of you, blah, blah, blah. And then you're supposed to give me the everlasting gobstopper, and then everything's okay. And I said, You've won. You've won, dear boy. You've won. And then I take you on the, the Wonka Vader, and we go sideways and front ways, and you get a chocolate factory in the end. <laughs>